just put me on acid <laughs> You wanna wait like a maverick We need to make something happen Batman, Batman, Batman Please put me on new fashion <laughs> I ain't learned nothing since last year You got the renegade fabrics What's going on everybody? It's your boy Jordan And this is Desmond And welcome to the 100th episode of Two Black Nerds That's right, it's that time yeah. once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds We appreciate that love, y'all yes, yes. And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise and i really mean brand new that's available <laughs> now at twoblacknerds.com go check out our nerds of the night collection inspired by the batman we got t-shirts crew necks hoodie stickers bugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we're reviewing dc's newest superhero blockbuster the batman we'll be having a comprehensive conversation about all of the film's major characters memorable moments and what it all may mean for the future of the batman franchise but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this week's podcast with a recap of how we got to the release of the eagerly anticipated new film. So, this version of the Batman was not always the intended vision for the film. As we all know, Ben Affleck was cast as the character for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. He would go on to star in that film as well as Suicide Squad in 2016 and Justice League in 2017. And after the release of Justice League, the plan was to develop a solo Batman movie that Ben Affleck was initially planning to star, write, direct, and produce in. And he was going to start work on that film after his own other film that he was making at the time, Live by Night in 2016. And so we were all going into this expecting a Ben Affleck film that was going to be firmly set within the DCEU following mm -hmm. on the heels of Justice League. But then over time, we started to see some things were changing. Some things were, were starting to show a little bit of the cracks that were existing within the DCEU system at that time. After a while, we found out that Ben Affleck was no longer going to direct and write the film. He was only going to star in it. And then they brought on Matt Reeves from the Planet of the Apes franchise to then direct the film. And then we started to hear a lot of rumors that potentially Ben Affleck was no longer going to be involved at all, that he was actually out as the Batman within the DCEU, that he had basically hung up the cape and cow, retired from the character, and that Matt Reeves' interpretation was, in fact, going to be something completely different and new than what we initially thought it was going to be. And it turns out that's exactly what happened. In January of 2019, we got the official release date for the Batman. It was initially set for June 25th, 2021. Obviously, that did not happen because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then they also confirmed that Ben Affleck was no longer going to star in the movie. So his involvement had basically reverted to zero at this point. And over time, we also just started to find out Ben Affleck and his time as Batman was pretty much over. He was going to walk away from the role and go on to do other things. And he talked to a variety of different outlets about the choice to make that decision. And then we started to find out that Matt Reeves' interpretation for this movie was going to be completely removed from the DCU. There were going to be no connections. It was going to be a brand new universe that was going to be started. And so with all of that that was happening and as we were leading up to the release of this film, there was just a lot of confusion, a lot of mm -hmm. uncertainty about what this was going to be. But Matt Reeves was the guy that they brought on. Again, he had done Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, War for the Planet of the Apes, mm -hmm. two hugely successful films in that franchise. He was also known for Cloverfield, Let Me In. So he had a string of pretty big and popular hits. He comes on to direct this movie. And so the first thing that I want to ask you as we start to get into the conversation about this movie is, why do you think that Matt Reeves was a good choice to direct this Batman interpretation that he was willing to bring to the big screen. Why do you think that he was the one that they ultimately decided to mm -hmm. go with? Man, I think there's a couple reasons for it. One, 
is you just spoke to it. I think with the Apes films, I think those are really important towards um, him helming these films, right? Planet of the Apes is its own universe and it is its own uh, mythos that comes with big decisions, <laughs> you know, that you have to make um, depending on what you want to do with characters. And I think that is just a very small stepping stone in the big Goliath that you have to tackle in something like Batman. Um, not only that, but I think Matt Reeves, as you can see through his career, is just a proponent of film. He's just, uh, you can tell he's a very, very nerdy dude to be honest he loves filmmaking he loves the aspects of filmmaking if you watch uh, uh cloverfield you understand why he was doing the things he does you know he was doing something new in a movie like that or you watch a movie like um let me in and you're like man what is this i've never seen anything like this before it's like this dude just really loves movies um and not only that again the the how nerdy you have to be even to make something like a planet of the apes <laughs> sort of film um, is something again you can bring into something like a a, a a movie like Batman you know and so on and so forth so I really just think um, all those things combined with I'm pretty sure early in his career um, he he worked with you know uh, uh, Loeb and, and Spielberg and these people in in small you know capacities that allowed him to be a good filmmaker you know I think taking a little bit from everyone and, and making it your own as a young filmmaker he really had the tool set for him to become the filmmaker he is today so I think a couple of those things combined man I think he was he was just the perfect one of the perfect people you know to to take uh, his own take on his own interpretation of the Batman that knowledge that he gained over those years working in the industry and his exposure to some of those big names that you just mentioned is, is so critical to, to come on to these different film franchises and to be able mm -hmm. to shepherd them successfully. And I think when you look at what he's done with the Batman, of course, and then you go back and look at his IMDb, his filmography, you see that this guy has a has a really keen eye for coming into already established properties and providing a brand mm -hmm. new take that we haven't necessarily seen, most notably the Planet of the Apes films, which had their history, you know, they had the films in the 60s and the 70s, which, you know, they were products of their time, you know, the first one's really good, and then you right. have a lot of sequels that, you know, take it into really weird and kind of crazy places, the 2001 film with Tim Burton was not all that successful, they do Rise of the Planet of the Apes in 2011, turns out to be a huge hit, and then he comes mm -hmm. in and just takes it to another level, right, even mm -hmm. a movie like Let Me In, that's a remake of Let the Right One In, which was a Swedish film, and so Matt Reeves, as a filmmaker, just knows how to work within the parameters of something that has pre-existing IP that's already been familiar with audiences and he still can come in and provide a completely new interpretation and take on it and take it yeah. to new levels that we hadn't quite seen. And I think with Planet of the Apes in particular, something like that, you you, you just would think that that probably shouldn't work in today's age. Like, why would a movie like that mm -hmm. really work? And he made it work tremendously. You know, those were yeah. extremely well received across the board. And when we started to hear Matt Reeves talk about what he was going to do with the Batman, I think people started to understand and see like, OK, maybe this guy is the right person for the mm -hmm. job because he spent a lot of time talking about the fact that he wanted to not only remove this from the DCEU, rework the story, do something that was a complete standalone, but he sought to explore Batman's more detective side, which we've right. known has been a staple for the character for his entire existence almost, but hadn't really been explored in the live action movies. We've gotten it in animated films. We definitely got it in video games, but in terms of live action, most Batman movies 
are pretty traditional action films. They haven't really right. leaned into the de- the detective noir aspect of the character, but this was something that he really wanted to go for, and he was drawing a lot of inspiration from 70s films and comic books, of course, drawing from the source material. And mm-hmm. I think that that all gave you know really positive signals to audiences, like, okay, well, this might be something really interesting and different that we hadn't seen before. Shortly after they officially announced the Batman movie in 2019, we also found out that Robert Pattinson himself was going to be playing Bruce Wayne slash Batman in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also amongst a few other actors who were shortlisted, including Nicholas Holt, Army Hammer, and Aaron Taylor Johnson. And uh, he turned out to be the guy that ended up winning the role. And Matt Reeves has talked about that when he was writing the script, Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. was who he had in mind. That's who he intended to be in this role. And for a long time, he didn't even really know if Robert Pattinson was going to be able to star in it. And then it's a really funny story that's you know sort of circulating out there now that as Matt Reeves was undergoing his search and he was, you know, starting to move towards casting, he finds out that Robert Pattinson was, ironically enough, cast in Chris Nolan's next movie, which at that time was Tenet. And so Matt Reeves just assumes like, oh, well, he's going to be unavailable. This guy's been doing <laughs> a lot of indie, interesting work for the past 10 years. He's sort of evaded blockbusters for a while. And so if he chooses to return to making blockbusters, well, the Chris Nolan movie is probably going to be the one and only. There's no chance he'll do a Batman film. Luckily, that was not the case, obviously. And we see that he is, of course, starring in this movie. But as with many castings that happen, Batman, as we talked about in our previous episode, The Best of Batman, you can go listen to that (laughs) now. It's one of the most difficult roles to step into. It's one of the most challenging things to deal with especially from a fan base perspective people have so many opinions about what they expect out of the character whether it be bruce Mm -hmm. or batman there's so much history obviously over 80 years and pattinson was no exception to that he certainly received his fair share of criticism and backlash (laughs) i think most mainstream audiences obviously know him as edward from the twilight film series because those were huge hits those were mega hits when they came out like five films you know that all made tremendous amounts of money very very popular and he goes on a string of just doing independent film, you know, for the majority of like 10 years, working with really interesting directors, taking these really weird eccentric roles and just challenging himself in a new way. And so when he returns to the limelight as Batman, you know, one of the most prominent characters you can be, I think unsurprisingly, most people were like, well, what is this going to how, how is this going to work? You yeah. and I, on the other hand, we oh, didn't yeah, feel we that way. <laughs> we we've talked about this many times off air. We 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 understood what what this was going to be. Now mm-hmm. we've seen the film. Many of you listening have probably seen our ratings. We we absolutely love this movie. But <laughs> let's go back in time for a second. Let's just pretend as if we hadn't seen it. Let's go back to 2019. Yeah. Why do you think at that particular time Matt Reeves really wanted this guy Robert Pattinson to step into this role, especially? considering his 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 career trajectory was not was not all that mm-hmm. traditional you would expect a guy like that to go from one massive franchise probably to the next but he didn't do that mm-hmm. he took a he took a pivot and went elsewhere and sort of fell out of the limelight for a while and then has now returned to like the forefront with this big blockbuster film but why do you think Matt Reeves was thinking about him and ultimately why do you think he was the right guy to to play this character yeah you know in a very weird sh- stripped down answer uh batman has to have a decent chin <laughs> like i know i, I know <laughs> it's hilarious here. right but but if you remember like in the dark night where the they're at dinner and the lady goes is 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 harvey dent uh the the the, the man and you know whatever and she puts up the the paper to his to his face and it's covered but the dude has a booty chin it's like y'all know he's not batman right <laughs> 
It's like you would know work. his shin and Batman's shin are the same. You would just know. Um, Robert Pattinson apparently just has a decent jawline, you know. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, man, I think he understood the potential of of the way Robert Pattinson takes characters. I think that was very important for him, the way Robert Pattinson can take a character and what and how that translates for him. He's seen him in different so many different lights since then right of course he has this twilight shadow hovering over him right um mm-hmm. and, and he can't get away from it but then you know like you said we've talked about this a lot we've talked about good time and high life and the lighthouse we've talked about these movies and his ability to take those characters and translate them to the screen are all look so very different those are three very different movies i just named high life good time and in what else did i just name um uh, oh, uh, goodness, I can't remember. The Good Time, High Life, and Lighthouse. Was it The Lighthouse? Um, yeah. Very, very, very different movies. Even Tenet. Th- those four movies are very completely different movies. And I think he he understood, uh, even watching something like The Devil all the time. You know, I think he just understood that Robert Pattinson could come in and give and adapt to not only Robert Pattinson's interpretation, of course, right, but Matt Reeves' interpretation. I think the same way that that's the reason Nolan picked up Christian Bell. He was like, no, he's going to do what I need him to do. And I think Matt Reeves had that same feeling about Robert Pattinson. He was like, I, he's going to do what I need him to do. And and I think as a filmmaker, as a director, you can watch people even in different environments and realize that they're going to adapt to the project that you need them for. Um, and so he's seen something in Robert Pattinson. Sometimes you just see it, too. You know, sometimes it's just the light goes off and you're like, nope. That's him. That's that's gonna that's my Batman. And like you said, he wrote it, wrote him um, with that in mind. So I think, you know, all those things considered, Robert Pattinson was really it was it right to the world. It didn't matter. It was was it right to Matt Reeves, <laughs> which was what was important. And, and apparently it was so. Reeves also strikes me. He strikes me as the guy who's very keen on being a. I guess a, a an actor's director, he's very mm-hmm. much very much focusing on the performances. You know, that's really important mm-hmm. to him as he writes these scripts, as he as he breaks the story. That's something that's extremely important to him. And so when you do look at Robert Pattinson's IMDb and you see he's working with filmmakers like Chris Nolan, like Robert Eggers, like Cronenberg, like mm-hmm. Claire Denis, like he's working with these really interesting and talented filmmakers who make, again, smaller films, with the exception of Chris Nolan, of course, but they usually make smaller films that are more character-driven more drama focused um, and they all are very different from each other tonally. And I think you just look at that, 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 that swath and that range that he's exhibited over the course mm-hmm. of a decade in between the twilight films and this film, it just goes to show that the guy is extremely versatile. And if you haven't tapped into those things, I, you know, this isn't to sound pretentious or anything, but you should just watch more movies. Like I understand having your sort of preconceived notions about a guy and right. then sort of walking into it like, oh, I, I don't know. You know, he he didn't really, he didn't ring off to me as Edward in, in the Twilight films. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I feel like a lot of people who criticize him didn't even watch those movies because Agreed. there's yeah. this, you know, there, there's this conception that like, oh, those are girl girls movies. You know, men don't watch the Twilight films. And it's like, no, it's silly. If you've seen any of them, he's actually pretty good in those movies, mm-hmm. right? Like he's not, he's not bad. So why do yeah. we think that he's all of a sudden just going to be bad in this role 
that's again not to mention all the stuff he did in between and the particular film that matt reeves made the decision to cast robert pattinson was off of the strength of good time which was a film by the safety brothers back in 2017 this is the film that they did before uncut gems which is mm-hmm. damn near almost as good as uncut gems if you ask me High key. If you haven't seen good time it, it's a, watch it's it. a phenomenal film it's now. extremely intense you should go see it because you'll get to see a lot of the different elements to i think what made him the right choice for this particular mm-hmm. role but once we got all of that information we started to really get towards the marketing train and start to build towards the release of this film and so they started filming it was riddled with many problems due to COVID-19. It was one of the first big films to get impacted so Mm. much so that they had to shut down production for about six months. Robert Pattinson himself caught COVID, you know, your main star, Mm, literally the Batman catches COVID. So that's, that's a pretty tremendous blow to the production of what you're doing. But in the midst of all of that, we still were getting news and still getting insight into what this movie was going to be. We got our first teaser all the way back at DC Fandom in August of 2020, something we've talked about on this show. And we were hugely, hugely excited about. I think the world was really buzzing Mm -hmm. after the release of that teaser trailer because you just can tell this is going to be something different and it of course ends with that really brutal vicious you know fight that batman has with the mm-hmm. with the with the gang member it wasn't really a fight he, he assaulted him. <laughs> just complete completely pummeled his face in and so the world was buzzing like okay this is going to be something different we can see that the tone is not going to be like anything that's come before it Fast forward another year, we got another trailer at DC Fandom this past year in October of 2021. It just gave us even more footage, and I think that's when the hype really started to build, and we saw that this movie actually was going to come out this March, and it did. It came out, it was released this past weekend, it's officially had the second biggest opening of the pandemic era, only behind Spider-Man No Way Home. It's Mm -hmm. made $134 million in its opening three days, which is incredible. It's above expectations. Um, That's, again, it's the second biggest opening of the pandemic era, the biggest opening of this year thus far, the biggest opening for Warner Brothers. So you just have to be really, really proud and happy if you're Warner Brothers with the performance of this film. Globally, it did $254 million, a really impressive start there. It still has not released in China, so it's going to make a good amount of money once it comes out over over in that country but i think it just goes to show that there's obviously still power to this character Mm -hmm. of course but as we were going into this weekend and i think folks were wondering like well how is this going to do how are people going to receive it what's what's the word of mouth going to be what are the reviews going to say what are the box office numbers going to be it's so many questions especially coming off of a film like spider-man which is you know become one of the biggest movies ever Mm -hmm. it was never going to be that nor did it need to be it didn't need to do what spider-man no way home did but as you were going into the weekend and just sort of analyzing and seeing the words and and the the the, the criticisms come out um, and some some of the the positive feedback, I mean, did that just increase your excitement overall? Once you saw that people were liking you, once you saw the projection started to go up, did that just you know get you even more excited to to ultimately see the movie? Oh, of course, man. You know we're people. Uh, uh, again, we're we're movie. We're just multi multifaceted movie nerds, man. So we watch. Any and everything, you know, I'm constantly on movie reddits. We we both follow multiple movie critics who get to see stuff early on social media. Um, we're constantly looking at reviews and di- on different websites and in different places and seeing that embargo be lifted and not seeing. I think I'm, I'm not sure I've seen not a one negative review about the film. It's easy to get excited, right? Because. You know, uh, superhero films, again, it's just this this harrowing, it's, it's always a cloud over your head, um, as, you know, Matt Reeves even talked about. He said, when you pick up the Batman, you you pick it up. Like, you're excited and you're also terrified. Um, but, you know, in that, in that same vein, 
we it's easy for us to be terrified as watchers of this of this content. You know, we're like, oh my god, it's a Batman film. It's one of the reasons I eat popcorn so fast at the beginning of movies. I'd be nervous, bro. I'm like, what if this is bad? <laughs> you know, I'm I've like, seen oh. it, y'all. It, yeah. it, it's gone within like ten minutes. A big bucket is, is out it's of gone. there. Hey, Batman made it maybe an hour. Um, <laughs> it you know, and and to see people who I think think like us and watch film like us come out with those first initial reactions and again no everyone you pretty much universally giving it praise it's very very again easy to to be excited for something like that man so of course i was i was ready you know for it to come out and for us to watch it um more than a lot of other films i think you know there it's one thing for the mcu to be established you know it's one thing for even dune for it to to kind of feel like a one-off you know like this is kind of out of nowhere, but not at the same time. You know what I mean? This is Batman. This has a legacy and kind of in the same vein that Marvel has a legacy. How, what are you going to do here? Um, and again, to hear that it, it, it was doing well, easy to be excited going into the weekend. Certainly a sigh of relief as well on my part. I too was a little bit nervous coming into this. This is my favorite character mm-hmm. in media period of any, of anything, not even just superheroes. So I have a, you know, a high and lofty expectations for for what the what the movie was going to be and there's something to be said about a studio's marketing decisions and in terms of what they decide to show what they decide to 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 withhold and Mm -hmm. i think just all signs pointed to that there was supreme confidence in this film based on the part of warner brothers based on the part of matt reeves because otherwise why would you show a teaser trailer more than a year and a half in advance if you weren't confident in what was being put together because if you put something out that people hate I mean, that's a long time for people to build up resentment towards that movie and say, oh, that looks like shit. I'm not really interested in that, you know, but <laughs> mm-hmm. they put it out in August of 2020 and you just let that fester for a year and a half. It's like, well, you have to have a level of confidence to that. And then we just saw more and more w- was happening. They did those fan screenings earlier in the week, which, you know, again, why do that if you think the movie's going to be exactly. poorly received? You know, mm-hmm. if you if you see, if you allow, you know, let's say it's like 100,000 people across the country to see it a few days before everybody else. If the movie sucks, then they have like two or three days to go around and tell people like, yeah, you probably don't want to spend your money on this, which just derails the entire project. But I, again, I think that they had a high level of confidence in what this movie was was going to be. And, and it all paid off in, in spades. And we see the numbers are reflecting that. I think that seeing these numbers come out, seeing the the hugely positive reaction across the board all but solidifies that there will be more movies in this franchise, but we'll talk more about that a little bit later when we get into the future of the Batman franchise moving forward with DC. So with all of that out of the way, let's not waste any more time, man. Mm -hmm. Vengeance has arrived in Gotham, and with all of that said, let's go ahead and get into our official movie review for The Batman. Trying to reach you. Find the gun! 
can take care of myself. If this continues, it won't be long before you've nothing left. I don't care what happens to me. It's only gonna get worse for you. Oh, take it easy, sweetheart. Hear everything they say, ain't you? Maybe we're not so different. Who are you under there? I'm vengeance. Now, this film is directed by Matt Reeves, and it's also written by Matt Reeves and Peter Craig, and it's starring starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard, Andy Serkis, and Colin Farrell. And so we've talked a lot about the development of the, fi- the film, of course. Before we do any spoilers and before we do our traditional character breakdown that we usually do with these ex- extensive movie reviews, we're going to give our non-spoiler thoughts. So if you haven't seen the film, if you're still waiting to see the Batman, you're still safe. We will give an official spoiler warning a little bit later on. But before we do get into that section of the review, let's just start off with our big picture thoughts, man. Tell me, what did you overall think about the Batman? Oh, boy. You know, to be honest, um, you know, I've said this multiple times over the pretty much past couple episodes, but this is one of the best times ever to be not only a nerd of comic book things, which it is, it's it's an amazing time, but it's it's also one of the best times, I think, to be a nerd of film. Um, there's just so, so much coming out right now. And, you know, I, I am speaking for myself because, you know, I've gotten Dune <laughs> and Spider-Man No Way Home and now the Batman all within six months of each other. And I believe uh, each is done masterfully, I think, in their own ways. And so that being said, man, Matt Reeves, the Batman, is already and easily one of the best Batman movies of all time. But better yet, one of the one of the best superhero movies of all time. On top of that, you know, um, the concept of noir, I think, is something that's always thrown around in the conception. Of, I think of understanding the character of Batman, but like it really wasn't until now that the 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 concept that concept of noir has been fully embraced by a Batman film, I think. And you know, Reeves takes the mythos of the character and he finally gives us the detective story that, you know, he that he said he would, you know, but he also uses the influences of other films, which we'll talk about later, a few light moments, these amazing action set pieces and and filmmaking techniques. Um, to tell an even grittier and I think grounded Batman story that we've ever received, you know, there 
I think there will be comparisons made to other Batman films. There have already been comparisons. There will always be comparisons because of the nature of what Batman is. Um, and even as we talk, you know, more later, we'll bring some other movies up. But, you know, as I think, as I spoke about No Way Home kind of being a love letter to all things Spider-Man, I think this is Matt Reeves' genesis to a Batman love letter. Like, this is the very beginning of his love letter specifically to Batman. And it, it, it really is truly magnificent. Um, and I'm just happy to be here, man, not only as a, a Batman fan, but as a, as a fan of film. Short and sweet. Well said, I am pretty astounded at the fact that this movie exists. I'm astounded that a movie studio like Warner brothers has allowed Matt Reeves to have this level of authorship with, mm-hmm a massive $200 million movie, you know, huge gamble, extremely risky. But I think after seeing this movie, this, this really signaled to me that this should be a lesson in how studios should handle their most well-known IP and how they should handle their franchises. I wish every big budget studio tentpole movie was made this way. Insofar as the fact that Matt Reeves said, I'm going to take this extremely popular character, but I'm going to go back. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go backwards a little bit. I'm going to go back to the roots and look at film inspiration from the 1970s when films at that particular time, which mu- were much more focused on character studies and character stories. And he's spoken at length about his inspiration pulling from Chinatown mm-hmm. or Clute or the French Connection. Again, these really dramatic grounded realistic and gritty character studies that came out in the 70s and then he also pulled from the the appropriate batman lore that you need to in order to make sure you're telling that proper story and he pulled from frank miller's year one from darwin cook's ego and he even looked at the animated movie mask of the phantasm for Mm -hmm. sources of inspiration but ultimately what makes this a very different kind of batman movie is the fact that it goes well beyond that it goes well beyond just being a batman movie it becomes this sprawling three-hour story that starts as an investigative crime noir thriller Mm -hmm. and then ultimately it becomes a little bit more psychological as it progresses forward it becomes about the abuse of power that exists within gotham and it talks about the privileged and the and the powerful and the social implications and the abuse that the entire city has has endured and as you're telling that story you're also visually seeing that this is the darkest we've ever seen the cape crusader Mm -hmm. on screen Mm -hmm. and it's glorious that's not a bad comment that i'm making at all it's a glorious choice to make this the darkest batman film we've ever seen and it's not even close if you ask me Mm -hmm. and with those things in mind i think frankly this movie just might not be for everybody that's just the honest to god Mm -hmm. opinion if you're asking me because it's unrelenting in 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 its level of commitment to its ideas it's it's darkness it's intensity And the fact that it isn't for everybody, I actually kind of like that because that shows Mm -hmm. more bold choices being made, more risky choices being made Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because this is a three hour story, because it is extremely dark, because you really shouldn't be taking children to see this because it's a very adult oriented (laughs) story because it's pulling from 70s films, like things that a lot of folks at this at this day and age probably haven't even seen or Mm -hmm. heard of. Though it's doing all those things, I think that that's that's where it should be going. That's where movie studios should be focusing on. Look at the things that have worked in the past and then throwing your own flavor and style to them because that's going to give you this new blend, this new mix of things and ideas and inspirations that feel familiar, but they also present themselves as something new. And for me, the movie didn't even feel like three hours. I know that's been a big talking Mm -hmm. point amongst everybody. I could have sat in that theater for another hour and you wouldn't hear me complaining. It felt like two. (laughs) Right. 
And I think that at this point, he's given us the definitive version of Detective Batman. We've never yeah. seen this version done to this extent before. Matt Reeves has given us the, the definitive version of what that looks like in live action. Mm-hmm. And then going beyond that, going beyond the story and beyond the movie as a whole from a big picture level, some of the specific things, this film, the Batman has God tier level visuals and sound. I yes. mean, my Lord, what they do across the board from a technical standpoint in this movie is just astronomical. It had my fucking mind blown so many different points in the movie. This is the best looking Batman movie ever, mm-hmm. in my ever. opinion. Mm-hmm. Greg Fraser is the cinematographer is doing just stunning work here. He's using these punchy orange hues. His his use of reds all throughout the movie is just phenomenal and striking. Even utilizing Scion as a color occasionally when Catwoman is on the screen. Mm-hmm. The amount of rain that drenches the city of Gotham is just suffocating. It's like mm-hmm. you're wa- you're watching the camera just fill up with with rain. It's almost like what the fu- do they ever ever just get a normal overcast <laughs> day here? Just no rain at all. But no, it just rains nonstop. And even moments when you're in certain into locations like the iceberg lounge we'll talk about that the flashing red strobe lights i mean the work that he's doing here mm-hmm. he damn near may win the oscar for dune because he's nominated for cinematography for dune he might win the oscar for that because people have seen the batman and they're just like damn the batman was just so good we're gonna give it to him <laughs> from dune just because and that's not to years. say that his work in dune is not incredible because it is he he fucking he killed just, it in dune he ripped he ripped in dune but mm-hmm. people might see the batman and just say like we're gonna give it to him a year early just because he just came <laughs> off the Batman. Like, what is he doing here? The sound design, as I mentioned, it is thunderous. It's visceral. There's a fury to it. You actually feel like sound as a character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just so many things. The practical effects that are utilized. Everything feels so tangible and real and lived in. And even like CGI, which we've grown accustomed to seeing more in these big blockbuster movies. I couldn't tell that mm-hmm. it was a part of the film. I know that they utilize it. I've seen and heard, you know, at different points in the film in which they said like, oh yeah, we use CG here for certain things. But for me, it's a seamless experience. You can't really tell. And that's when it's the best is mm-hmm. to when you can't tell. And the last thing that I'll say before we do get into the, to the nitty gritty, Michael Giacchino score, my Lord, Ooh. he takes it to the next level here. It envelops you in each scene it's different than anything we've ever heard from a Batman score before. It's something that I'm already listening to on repeat. I'm listening to the different themes and the different songs and all of that stuff is just so magnificently done. So well crafted. It's giving us the best of a lot of different things when it comes to a live action Batman Mm -hmm. movie. There's so much more to say. There's so many more talking points that we have to hit, but I'm going to leave it right there as we get into our official spoiler section for this movie. And folks, if you've not seen the Batman, this is your time to officially go ahead and duck out. Go watch the movie all Get three hours of, of it. And then come back and listen to it. It'll be right here waiting for you. So with that said, this is your official spoiler warning as we get into <laughs> the details of this movie. So of course, as always, we do character breakdowns when we do spoiler reviews for these superhero mm-hmm. films. And we will, of course, do the same here. And obviously, we have to start with the man himself, Bruce Wayne Batman, Robert Pattinson, coming yes. into this role and talk about all the things involving him and his character in this movie and and the details surrounding that. We're going to revisit him many times throughout this conversation, of course, mm-hmm. because it is his movie. I want to start with the beginning of the film. Yeah. So after the introduction of the Riddler, I want to talk about the introduction of the Batman. That yeah. particular scene, it's like a five-minute sequence, a five-minute sort of prepping of, of, of the arrival of the Dark Knight, his, 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 his night out in crime. You hear the opening words, Thursday, 
October 31st. And automatically, you're placed in Halloween <laughs> mode. Again, yes, it's raining in Gotham. It's drenched, but people are outside. They're celebrating. They have costumes. And you get a voiceover from Bruce Wayne, which mm, this is, again, choice. something else we've never seen in a Batman film before, a voiceover narration style opening, which for me felt very reminiscent of, of old school gangster movies, you know, Martin Scorsese movies where you get this narration that happens. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen all throughout the film. It sort of just opens and then bookends the film. But it was an interesting choice. But I just want to talk specifically about that opening scene as we get the introduction of him. I think I'll just say before I pass it over to you, for me, it's the greatest introduction to Batman we've ever seen. Like, Mm -hmm. period. I I don't think that we've ever seen a setup and a payoff better than that. You're hearing Michael Giacchino score. You see the bat signal in the sky. Mm -hmm. And you see all of these different criminals around the city look at that bat signal. And you see the fear that immediately is instilled within them. They haven't even seen him on the street. They don't even know that this guy (laughs) is out tonight. But they see that bat signal. And you're hearing Robert Pattinson's voice talking about the fact that it's not just a calling card. It is a warning. Mm -hmm. It's a a sign and a symbol of fear so that criminals and people who are doing really mischievous things, they can look at that signal and sort of have that fear instilled in them immediately. And he he says that line that they they think I'm hiding in the shadows, but I, I am the shadows. And you get the Bar. guy looking down the alleyway. <laughs> Batman's not even right there, but he's just like having the thought in his head, like, well, what if he is right there? I was going to run that way, but let me just go back. Let me turn around and go somewhere else. Just so many things to process in this moment. Again, mm. it's an opening unlike we've ever seen in any any Batman film and quite frankly, any superhero film. As we were just sort of grounding ourselves and getting used to this experience, what was going through your head as we saw this all unfold? Man, hit it in the chaos is the element waiting to strike like snakes. But I'm there too, watching. Man, this dude, uh, that's a one, that's a bold choice to to have a narration. I think in 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 this way, as you said, very Martin Scorsese-ish, gangster movie-ish to have a have have that that narration, that voiceover at the beginning of a film from your, your you know your titular character. It was really uh, uh, interesting and different, and it brought uh, a different kind of I think harrowing to the energy I think of the film. Like it, no matter what, in the beginning of the film, that's where you establish your energy, right? Mo- all of the good Batman, great Batman films, the beginning is this shit. Just as, again, we're going to compare stuff all day. You just have to. But the beginning of The Dark Knight's a beast, bro. And it starts with the Joker and that whole uh, uh, bank heist. And, you know, in in seeing how dark this world already is. Seeing how already, how the, the, the fear that Batman puts into uh, uh, the, the everyday criminals already at the beginning of a film is an amazing place to start. I really love the choice to, you have one set of shadows and he's not there, but they think he might be. And then you have a second set of shadows and they're like, oh, is he in that one? It's like, no, nah, he ain't in that one either. And then, you know, you finally come to the third shadow and that's, you know, where he comes from and that's what he walks out of. Um, and, you know, it it's such an amazing, I think, conscious choice to hear Batman first before you see him. <laughs> and what, that does to a person in 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 fear like oh boy was pulling out a machete before he's even on the screen i'm like you don't even know what's over there but in your head you're like <laughs> oh shit i don't know what that is but i'm gonna pull out the machete. you know like you're still afraid and you haven't even seen what it is yet 
is a I, I think such a, a a great choice for a beginning of a film, man. I love how they set it up. Again, I love how Gotham looks in its own Times Squareish London, you know, Chicagoish view um, of what the city is supposed to be, man. And it it it, it really does set the tone uh, so differently than anything we've seen before. I, it, it was amazing. I loved it. Um, but now the beginning is iconic, right? Like people are going to know those opening lines of the movie. Like no one's done that before. That's new shit. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it I, it's legendary really um, in, in the way to open up any superhero film ever. And I, I really just appreciated it. Yeah, certainly it had me just completely enveloped that entire time seeing that unfold. And you're just waiting and anticipating as those criminals are like, where is this guy? What's <laughs> what's about to happen here? And we're sitting there as an audience like, oh, well, when is he going to pop up? And I think we all we all saw when 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 those, you know, though, the, that that gang, you know, was harassing the guy from the subway train. We sort of knew that that was going to be the moment based off of the trailers. Like, OK, mm-hmm. he's going to pop up really soon here. And then he comes in and just completely whoops ass and, and takes that entire that entire mob out. But man, I just I love the choice to do what they did here again i think it's the greatest introduction to that character we've ever seen because it just builds and builds and builds the tension so incredibly and you can almost cut it with a knife you you Mm -hmm. almost you have that same amount of fear that some of these criminals have and you just don't know like where this guy might where this guy might be um let's talk about some other bold choices with this with this version of batman and what robert pattinson has brought to the role um i have to say this off top because people who haven't seen the movie um or I should say those who have, have probably noticed this and have, have taken note of, of the fact that this is the least amount of Bruce Wayne we've ever seen in any live-action film. This movie is through and through about the Batman character. I think for probably about 80% of the movie, Robert Pattinson is in the cape and cow. We don't really see him as Bruce Wayne. We haven't gotten that side of him really at all from this movie. Mm-hmm. He's pretty much playing Batman entirely. There's no businessman or playboy here. Yes. Uh, Robert Pattinson is really embodying what it means to be a tortured soul, mm-hmm. I think. And he's he's a recluse. He doesn't go out. He's an insomniac. He He's a guy that doesn't really take care of himself. He's primarily occupied and concerned with being the Batman. Yeah. And even the idea of Bruce Wayne in, in terms of what we've seen before, again, that businessman aspect, the playboy aspect, mm-hmm. even the 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 philanthropist, right, who, yeah. who who provides for the city. He's negated all of those responsibilities. He's 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 short sort of shed himself of, of doing any of that work, which comes back up later during the funeral when the mayor elects, you know, is like, you know, you haven't done anything in a while and I want to change that, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's an interesting thing, again, that we just haven't seen before. Somebody just be so engrossed with being yeah. Batman that at this point, I think we can assume he's like 30 years old, mm-hmm. um, that he he's just, he's, he's, he's not taking any other responsibilities seriously. Like, this is his life. And, and many interpretations of the character, whether it be in comic books or other films, have often said, like, yes, Batman is the real person. The mask is Bruce Wayne. Yeah. That's not a new idea, per se, but they... I mean, they really meant it here. They ran with it and, and actually mm-hmm. made that the reality in this movie. It's it's no it's no dichotomy. It's strictly just Batman. I mean, what did you think about the choice to just go with that and to really lean into that heavily throughout this movie? Man, everything new is just so refreshing with this take, man. It's easily one of my favorite ideas of the movie is his obsession as Batman. He's like, I don't have time to be Bruce Wayne because I just want to be Batman. I don't care about any of that and you know alfred's like but what about your parents legacy he's like nigga this is my parents legacy like i'm doing what they couldn't you know what they couldn't do in that moment what i couldn't do in that moment is what i'm doing right now what is bruce wayne gonna do for this city 
that that Batman can't. You know what I mean? Um, you know, he he has left that high society completely as Bruce Wayne, and you know, he only cares about his mission as what well, he said, the nocturnal animal man. He just wants to be vengeance. That's all he wants to do all day. He's like, uh, I'll eat some berries with Alfred for a little bit, but then I'm going back to be vengeance. <laughs> Cause that's what Batman is, you know? Um, and it, you know, it really does move all of that moves into the, all the things he does as Batman, you know, he, he walks slow, but it's not only because he's trying to be the scary force. He's recording shit the whole time. He's like, I need to see this guy's face. So I'm going to walk slowly. I'm going to need to see this guy's face. <laughs> so, you know, like there's several reasons to the things he's doing as Batman. And I think that obsession all plays a part. Right. Um, you know, he, he Robert Pattinson really was the king of the stair in this entire film. <laughs> That's really what it was. Uh, and, he, and he has some of the you know fewest lines of any Batman ever, you know. But the, again, the way he walks, it's really the words that were unspoken that makes him such a creepy and scary bat. And I think, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about the the opening scene here in a sec soon, too. But I think all those things is just like what made him Batman <laughs> uh, here. And so, yeah, he was he was killing it, man. Most definitely. I, I am. I'm going to make a lot of bold statements in, in this podcast because I, I truly feel this way. This is not hyperbole on my part, but I think that this is the best Batman we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like as Batman strictly, you know, yeah. again, er, eliminating the dichotomy of the Bruce Wayne. Cause I've seen people say like, Oh, I wish, I wish we would have seen more Bruce Wayne. And you know, he didn't really play that. Well, that's kind of the point of the it's movie. The point. Yeah. He hasn't developed Bruce Wayne. He, mm-hmm. he is Batman. I, we've again, this is not a new idea, but it's often been said that Bruce Wayne died the day that his parents were killed in the alley mm-hmm. and Batman was born that day. I feel like that this is taking that idea almost literally that yeah. ever since his parents were killed in crime alley or wherever they were killed in this, in this version, he's only become Batman. He's become vengeance. That idea that he continues to repeat throughout the story that mm-hmm. he's vengeance. And that's what he's consumed himself with. And the fact that he's just completely thrown himself into that idea. And he's assumed this mantle of Batman, this vigilante that fights crime throughout Gotham outside of the law. Mm-hmm. That's all he knows. He has no interest in being Bruce Wayne. He's almost uncomfortable being Bruce Wayne. I remember that scene at the funeral when he first pulls up and you see the paparazzi is calling his name. He turns his back at him. He doesn't even look at them because he doesn't really want his picture being taken. Mm-hmm. But when he's inside the funeral, because this is like this is like the moment of the movie where he's Bruce Wayne the longest is at that funeral yeah. scene. Mm-hmm. When the cop notices him and he says, oh, hey, it's Bruce Wayne and he waves at him. He doesn't wave back. He doesn't acknowledge him. <laughs> he just turns his head. He does not want to be Bruce Wayne at this point. Like He has no interest in that. Batman is his identity. Yeah. That's all he's concerned with. And so the fact that they lean so heavily into that, I think that that made complete sense. And because of that, I think that that's why he's the best Batman we've ever seen, because we've mm-hmm. never gotten this much Batman. It's always have to, it's always had to be a balancing act. And even beyond that, I think the actual performance in and of itself with a lot of the specifics you mentioned, the way he talks, the way he walks, his voice, the way he fights, mm-hmm. his detective skills, the suit itself, the empathy that he conveys with his eye eyes you know and the way that he looks at people yeah all of that stuff i'm just like everything works mm-hmm. everything works really really well here like I, I don't have any sort of criticism at all with with what he's bringing to life in this in this in this version of, of batman and so for me i just walked away just knowing like nobody's ever done it this way and yeah. nobody's ever made me feel like this is really the guy more than more than you know even keaton more than bale mm-hmm. i'm just looking at this dude like 
this is what I envision when I think about Batman and, and when, when I have these ideas about what a live action film could be. I mean, he really fulfilled a lot of that, a lot of those expectations that I had walking into it and also yeah. still surprised me in multiple ways. And and also one of the things that's interesting in this in this particular version, too, the next scene after we see him beat up those criminals and he's with Gordon and they go to the crime scene of the mayor because the Riddlers killed the mayor at this point. That's the opening mm-hmm. scene of this movie. Yeah. He's walking into the crime scene right behind Gordon and you get all of the police officers just staring at him <laughs> and they're looking at him with like content on their face. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of disgusted and they're like, well, you're really bringing this guy here. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so interesting that again, in past iterations of Batman, particularly in the movies, Batman's often been like a shadow. He's mm-hmm. been a he's been a, an entity that we don't really know exists. Like especially in the Nolan movies, the opening of the Dark Knight when you start to see Batman introduced in the movie, they're like, "You really believe in that guy? He doesn't exist. He hasn't been out in months. You know, you'll never mm-hmm. run into that guy. What are the odds of that?" Mm-hmm. So he's almost like this myth uh, that 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 exists that people they don't right. really know if he is a real thing or not. In this movie, Batman is people know Batman. He's real. Like the the cops know this guy. There's no mystery. (laughs) And they look at him with content. And it's also a little bit of like, this dude's a weirdo. He's walking around in this bat costume. And I think that the way they shot it also conveyed that because you get all of these officers in uniform and you got this guy walking in this crime seat, literally dressed as a bat. All that stuff works really, really well for me. But it it really stuck out to me that we, we got a version of the character that that is known throughout Gotham. There is no questions mm-hmm. or curiosity as to whether or not he, he exists. Like people know that this this guy is a real thing, and he's kind of weird for it. On top of that, yeah, I absolutely love how the detectives don't like him because, uh, again, we'll, we'll also talk about Detective Gordon later. But you know, it makes his character even more like, bro, what do you have going on? What do what what is this relationship? Um, but in that opening moment, man, in that first that first cop scene is so. It's such an establishing scene for liter- almost everything. Like you get everything in that one scene. You get Batman, Gordon, Riddler shenanigans. You know, <laughs> kind of in, in, inside of there, and you you really get um, um, all those relationships between. And I love how you know uh, where how awkward of a situation that is for everyone to be like, this nigga should be arrested. Like who? Why is he walking in here? What is going on? But how it was a character choice for Batman, right? For Robert Pattinson to say, I'm not looking none of these dudes in the eyes. I am only looking at the stuff <laughs> that is going on in the scene. I'm only focusing on the evidence. That is it. That's, and, and, you know, I love how, um, you, you know, the dude that was kind of checking out the mayor's body and he lost his thumb and stuff. He, he does kind of run into that wall that is Batman because Batman is we talk about it as Bruce, how he doesn't say hi back to, to officer Martinez or whatever, but like, it's also like social awkwardness in him. Like he, mm-hmm. he has not developed the social cues to even be Bruce. Like he, it's not even that he doesn't want to be Bruce either. It's like, he can't like he, I'm not even sure he can say hi back as Catwoman says later on down the line. She's like, do you even say hi? I'm not even sure he knows what that word is uh, of hello, because he, again, he's so dark and he's, he's been so um, stripped away, you know, from a lot of, normal child things i don't know <laughs> a lot of His normal growth was stunning yeah, yeah human interaction there's not a lot of human interaction all he has is alfred who we find out maybe gave him some hand combat training somewhere in there and that's it it's like what else has this dude really had to latch on to um and again we get a lot of that in, in that first opening scene and I, I really just love that as an establishing sequence um to start off the film 
what a moment also in that scene when Batman finds out that the mayor's son found him dead in the apartment. Mm. You see the boy sitting over in the corner and the, the police officers are trying to talk to him, trying to console him. And he just looks over at the boy. The boy looks back and he just looks at him. For a long time. Doesn't utter a word and just <laughs> just looks at him for a long time. And man, again, I think Pattinson just does a tremendous job conveying so many emotions mm-hmm. with no words, conveying empathy and remorse and sadness to that young boy because he he was that young boy to to be at the deathbed essentially of his parents symbolically at the deathbed but you know witnessing that at such a young age he was probably the probably the same age that that boy was in the actual film and remembering that and conjuring up those memories and being able to communicate that with his eyes Mm -hmm. you just know that that boy is not going to forget that you know it's almost kind of a callback almost as you said we'll compare things and 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 draw comparisons you know to to previous films video games all that stuff but it reminded me of the dark knight rises when Mm -hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character goes to visit yeah. Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. and he already knows that Bruce is Batman because he himself was an orphan and mm-hmm. he's like you know I remember when you showed up that time and you were putting on this front you looked like this guy that had it all you had this money you were a playboy but I just automatically knew that you were an orphan like me and that only somebody like you would be capable to be mm-hmm. a guy like Batman to be able to do those things and I think that this is kind of a similar situation which a lot of this film, a lot of the talk about this film has been the fact that we're not revisiting the origin story. We're, we're, we're completely moving past that. We don't need to see Martha's pearls hitting the fucking pavement again. Thank God. <laughs> In slow motion. In slow motion. <laughs> but him doing that in that moment, looking at that boy, communicates all that you need to know. It yeah. retells that origin story without retelling it, without showing it to us for the 1,000th time. Mm-hmm. Being able to just have that moment exist within the film. Again, just a brilliant, smart choice to call back to that moment that we all know, that history that we all know and are familiar with, but doing so in a new and creative way that I think communicates it almost even more powerfully. Mm-hmm. More more than what just the, the, the raw moment and the raw emotions of what, what an experience like that can communicate. The fact that he's a grown man mm-hmm. and can recall those feelings in looking at that boy is just wow. such a, I think it's just such a strong choice and such a powerful moment. Yeah, no, you're completely right, man. Like, what other way um, to... I, again, convey. I think the the state and the psyche that Batman is in really throughout this film, um, because I the way I look at this movie and as Batman as a character is that he's stuck being ten years old, right? You, like you said, you said the, the that Bruce Wayne died the same day his parents died, and from that you know stem Bat, Batman, and from that he's hopeless and he's broken, and you know he chooses to do this crazy thing at nighttime by being Batman all on his own taking the law into his own hands, but mainly because of the trauma, what happened to, you know, his parents when he was 10 years old. And at some ways being stuck at 10 years old is that's his problem, right? Like his in, in, and I think that's one of the brilliant things about this film is, uh, you know, the world that Matt Reeves has built where there are heroes, there are villains, but there are good guys, there's bad guys, but nobody's innocent. That's one of my favorite parts about this movie. Nobody is innocent. And how much hope can a city really have when I, when they find out like the people held up in the light, right? The Thomas Waynes uh, and people like that, that they're, even those people are innocent and they, and, they, and they weren't innocent. And, you know, uh, even though they might, you know, he might've been a good guy. He's, he's not an innocent guy. Right. But, you know, it's 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 one thing for Batman to choose 
to to hold his parents in that light in that they've always been perfect and part of this movie is is the Riddlers and the Carmen Fal- Carmine Fal- uh, Falcones and the in the Selena Kyle's to shatter his world and be like yep your parents weren't perfect bro and now th- th- that's what this movie is right it's like how this thing I've been doing at nighttime and going out as Batman has been because of this perfect image of my parents and now that's being shattered who now who am i really and now that's like a a, a completely different thing that comes with the film that I, I love so much so again that look that at that 10 year old boy or however old you know this this boy is it it's important because it happens twice it happens once as batman it happens again as bruce wayne and and i think it's like uh, how can how can he understand both perspectives in which he is on each side of the cape right on each side of the mask is like man as 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 batman what does this kid situation mean to me but now even as as bruce wayne it's like man what does this situation mean to me now too right it's like are, are we connected in both ways and i think that's interesting another aspect of batman in this movie i quickly want to touch on is it's a couple things but they're kind of tied together one the detective aspect of them again which was really the focus of this movie and how much matt reeves wanted to make this a detective story and obviously utilize the intelligence and the and the the cunning of, of of batman to be able to solve these riddles solve this crime and then in addition to that sort of the vulnerability that exists with batman in this movie mm-hmm. because he's very much still a work in progress like this is not a guy right. who's been fighting crime for 20 years in the first fight that you see that we just talked about, he takes punches. He gets hit. He gets hurt. We see even in the middle of this movie when he's escaping the GCPD with the help of <laughs> Gordon and he takes flight. He crashes and burns quite dramatically. You know, his 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 parachute opens up and he runs right into the train, uh, the train tracks and he's hurting. Right. And I think all throughout this film, you see him take a lot of hits and a lot of blows. But mm. this is a, a year two story. This is a young Bruce, a young Batman who's still figuring out his way, who's still sort of mastering what this all really means. And so yeah. I was actually a little surprised at the level of vulnerability that existed with the character that we, we again, we, it's been a minute since I think we've seen that, like Ben Affleck's version. We just talked again about in our last episode, that warehouse fight whooping ass across mm-hmm. the board, just completely just pummeling people just left <laughs> and right. But you can I mean, you can get away with that because this was a guy who had been Batman for 20 years. So the idea mm-hmm. that he could take out 15 criminals by himself, I buy into that. This version, not mm-hmm. so much. He hasn't really mastered his fighting style. He's susceptible to damage, susceptible to taking hits and, and damage in that way. And then also, in addition to that, he he's still this very smart, intelligent detective, but mm-hmm. he, he needs help from Af- Alfred to figure out some of those ciphers, right? Yeah. Like, he doesn't have all the answers, and, and Riddler, even in, in this movie, is still kind of a couple of steps ahead of him along the way. I, mm-hmm. You know, I'm just kind of interested to hear your thoughts on just, like, the portrayal with the, 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 the more psychological aspect with the detective work that he was doing mm-hmm. versus the, the, the more physical side, what we typically see out of Batman. Yeah, man, it's... First, on, on the physical side of things, it was again, like you said, it was really cool to just see him. I think taking hits, and I think the way he was supposed to take hits, right? Especially again, we hear about a, a very quick line where where Alfred's like, "Yeah, all I did was teach you how to fight, or whatever." You know, he said in the film, "It's like, bro, that's all you got, and you hit that hard." It's like, but I think the way he punches also speaks to his character. Cause he's like mm. he's like I didn't I didn't pull that punch or or he said I did pull that punch when he hit, hits, hits Gordon right but throughout the film the base you're like this dude is hitting hard as shit like if like if anybody gets hit by this dude they're not going to be okay like you hear it in the sound <laughs> you're like this dude is hitting really hard but I also think uh, uh, 
you know, some of the hits he takes is because he's not as precise yet as a Batman, right? He, 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 he's very much, uh, uh, focused in very, not all, not necessarily a good way all the time. Right. He could be, he could be honed in on things and miss other things. Maybe that's, that's one of the reasons I think why Riddler is always two steps ahead because he's too, he's too zoned in into, into vengeance, right? That's, that's the movie. He's too distracted by his own, peril and his own his story of what's going on that I, I i love that's why the action is shot the way it's shot of him he be don't get me wrong he can still fight his ass off and he's still beating niggas up but the, the the l's he takes is really reminiscent of like you said a year two batman i think that's so important uh in the development because it, even though this isn't an origin this is matt reeves origin right this is this is this is still very fresh for him um and in, in, in the in, in the 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 spirit of rogues galleries, which at, later on down the line there will be people to challenge him. Riddler, in my mind, seeing this is his big first challenge. If it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, Joker, who's already in that hole, who might not even be Joker yet. But you know, if it, <laughs> but it, it really is Riddler. That's like this dude is he he's got you, bro. And it's because you're not perfect, and you're not as you're not as good as you could be yet. Which is why you know I love the long Halloween take of this too. It's like. Dude, you're de- but you're you're a detective. Like you are you you have you are here to figure out what this psychopath has going on and you're good at it, but are you the best? And I think that's what also, you know, uh, uh hovers over him as this as as the story starts to progress. Um, you know, people kind of continuously show him that he's not even the best being a, being a detective. So you're not the best vigilante, you're not a good Bruce Wayne at all. And you're not a good detective. What you have? What do you have going on? But I love that detective aspect of the movie, right? Um, that it's one of my favorite parts about it. You know, uh, I, we both watched Seven before this happened. We know they pulled from Zodiac in here. We know, you know, uh, the other movies from the '70s that you named are, are all in here. Clue and French Dispatch. I said French Dispatch, but you know, all these movies um, all came into the detective aspect of, of this. Um, and it's like, damn. This is finally the long Halloween. Like, <laughs> we're doing it. Hey, everybody, high five. Like, we're doing it. Um, and I, I, I think I'm really proud of that. So I think those two things combined are really just good makings of a good Batman. You have the detective side, and I think you have combat that makes sense. And all the gadgets may, may not work yet, you know, to your advantage and, you know, things like that. He's not perfect. And I think that's what you know makes you know that the line of a perfect movie even better uh, uh you know moving up into uh the the imperfections yeah it's it's extremely tricky to be able to illustrate to us as an audience a guy who is capable of being batman but he also isn't a master of batman mm-hmm. yet like there's so many just small things that you you were alluding to now i'm just i'm just thinking you know and rethinking about a lot of them that happened throughout the movie the fact that some of the gadgets don't work exactly the way that you would expect them to, mm-hmm. like the like the, the the gliding flight suit that he has. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really know how to use it. That was probably the first time he ever had to jump off of a, of, of a building. That's like, why I'm so scared. <laughs> the fe- yeah, the fear that he had as he was getting on top of the GCPD to escape the police officers, that's probably the first time he ever used it and had to do that. Like This has been a guy who's, for two years, has just been on the ground or mm-hmm. in his car, right? And so... That was just a smart choice. But even like in moments of his his intelligence in being able to work out the scene of a crime mm-hmm. before other people, like I think back into the, the first scene of the crime of, of the mayor that the Riddler had murdered, he notices that blood splatter on the floor from the, yeah. from the weapon that the Riddler used. He walks over there. 
not because he just wants to take a look at it. He's trying to key off the or tip off the the photographer so that she could take a picture of that extra blood splatter because mm-hmm. she didn't even notice it at first. But he walks over there to get her attention, and then she follows up behind him, notices the blood, takes a picture of it, and now mm-hmm. that's part of the evidence. It's like small stuff like that where he conveys that he knows and is more focused and locked in on certain things, but he's not quite all the way the master that we mm-hmm. that we you know sort of grow to to know over the years. It, that's a tricky and very difficult thing, I think. To pull off and i think i think that they just exceeded in so many ways um we should also just quickly talk about as well just like the world of batman because batman isn't just the character of himself there's other things there's gotham there's Mm -hmm. you know the 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 bat cave quote unquote and I, i think that this movie again makes more bold choices right like i love the fact that there is no wayne manor He's living in Wayne Tower in the middle of Gotham. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not going out to the countryside out in the middle of nowhere, which is why we don't really have a Batcave, which is why the quote-unquote Batcave in this movie is an abandoned train station, which Mm -hmm. is near Wayne Manor. I thought that that was just, again, another unique, different take that we hadn't really seen before, but it makes sense. Again, year two, he's still living over, you know, above the city, and I know Matt Reeves has talked about that, you know, he wanted to pull from, you know, powerful, wealthy families that lived in these big, these big high-rise buildings above metropolitan cities, like the Rockefellers, you know, in New York, he was sort of calling back to that. And I thought that that was a cool decision. Mm-hmm. And then just even like the depiction of Gotham as a whole mm-hmm. is, is, is much different than past iterations. Nolan went for a very realistic style. He mm-hmm. filmed a lot of those movies in Chicago. It very much looks like Chicago. Burton went with, you know, really over the top comic accurate sort of Gothic look for his, for his version of Gotham. But I feel like that this, this iteration of the city is mostly pulling a lot of inspiration from the video games, from the Arkham series. Mm, That's what mm-hmm. it felt mostly akin to to me, just in the in the in the use of like the fluorescent neon signs, mm-hmm. the architecture, the browns and the reds that were present all throughout the city. Mm-hmm. Again, the use of rain. Those Arkham games that also rained all the fucking time. If you ever played <laughs> those video games, yeah. so it felt mostly akin to that. And I just love that. You know, if that's the case, I love the fact that like. Reeves is going to the video games as well because those are great games. The Arkham mm-hmm. series is magnificent. Um, I just love the fact that they're also pulling from other Batman media as opposed to just simply the movies. And so those two decisions in particular, I, I really, really enjoy, you know, sort of seeing those things come to life here. Yeah, I, you know, I love really all takes on Gotham, but I think they're all valid depending on who the filmmaker is. Um, do I think Nola could have did better? Absolutely. But, you know, I think Matt Reeves just understands Gotham as a character the same way he understands Bruce Wayne <laughs> as a character. I think he gets what what you know what the vehicle that Gotham is supposed to be, you know, in order to serve Batman as a character in these films and how they are depicted uh, it is depicted as more uh uh you know it, it serves kind of the cinematography in a way, right? Where it is still we we are getting that greediness and that those 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 undertones and hues that you just said of like those weird those like oranges and neons um that that exist in, in, in certain places, man. That's why I like I keep putting cities together in my head. I'm like, this is clearly London, New York, and Chicago put together. Like that's just what it looks like to me. Like if you can mash them all into one, that's what that's what really got them is supposed to be. Not only that, but in it, I love uh, another reason I love the beginning that establishing moment is because you see the crevices in which crime takes place in Gotham too. Um, like people are putting for, uh, uh, 
spray paint on the columns of big courthouses and stuff, you know, which mm-hmm. is like a wild place to do anything bad. It's like, you're sure there's not a camera looking at you right now? Like, that's a very much government <laughs> official kind of place. But, you know, him, again, estab- establishing Gotham as something like that, it it, it really is. Um, it, was, it was well done. It was important. And it was a different take on Gotham. It was like, I love how every step was like, okay, how can I be both good and different, not just different? You know, how can how can we use this to serve the story? And uh, I, again, constantly see that throughout uh, the, the depiction of Gotham throughout the film. And I can't wait to see more of Gotham, really, in, in, uh, uh, to be honest, in, in some of these uh, later films. Yeah, I mean, Gotham is just as much of a character in any of these films, any of the comics, as 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 our primary leads are. Like, Gotham mm-hmm. is a living, breathing thing. And I think, as I said earlier, this felt like a truly lived-in Gotham. I just love the use of practical locations, real locations. They use some sets here and there, but just, like, going to real places. They shot a lot of this movie. You said London. They shot a lot of this movie in London. They shot a lot of it in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. You know, so all of that European style is definitely present here. Um, earlier, I said I think this is the best-looking Batman movie. I think that this is the best Batman introduction we've ever gotten. I think Robert Pattinson has been the best Batman. I think that this is the best Gotham we've ever gotten as well on screen. You might be listening to this and you kind of see where I'm going with all of this. We'll we'll get to that <laughs> conversation a little bit later. But, um, you know, there's so many things to talk about with that. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to another character because there's going to be other things that come up with Batman. Let's talk about Selena Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman, played by Zoe Kravitz in this movie. So, interestingly enough, her journey has... Uh, sort of brought her full circle with her career. Zoe Kravitz initially went after the role of Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises all the way back in 2012 when Chris Nolan was casting Mm -hmm. for that movie. We ultimately know that Anne Hathaway ended up with that role, so it's no secret that Zoe Kravitz was after that. She did end up doing a superhero movie around that time. She was in X-Men First Class, didn't have a huge Mm -hmm. role, you know, sort of got killed off immediately in that movie. And then she went on to do other films and be a part of other things, Big Little Lies and Mad Max and some other smaller movies here Mm -hmm. and there. But coming back as Selena Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman, in this movie, she's been presented as the co-lead. You know, even in the marketing, they've led up to, you know, this idea of the bat and the cat, this partnership, of course, Catwoman in the comics has largely been an anti-hero. The will they won't they between the two in terms of the sexual tension mm-hmm. or the fact that they work together. Will she betray him? Will she work with him? All those questions. And so Zoe Kravitz coming into this movie, I think there was huge anticipation, of course, because Catwoman is also an extremely popular character, mm-hmm. um, but also some intrigue in terms of what was going to be different because this is a character we've seen many, 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 many times. You know, yeah. Many different actresses have stepped into the role of, of Catwoman. Um, but with that said, man, what do you think about what Zoe Kravitz brought to this movie man uh, you know it's finally a role where I feel like Zoe Kravitz just gets to act and isn't being sidelined or overshadowed by any kind of writing or any kind of backseat (laughs) that she's forced to take in the film like she gets a lot of screen time in this movie um you know whether it was dope or Big Little Lies or Mad Max but only until very recently I think uh, you know, in a movie we reviewed Kimmy, we just reviewed Kimmy, or even like a show like High Fidelity, which I haven't watched, but I know she's the lead <laughs> of that show. Has it really seemed like she's gotten the chance to be a real star? You know, people know Zoe Kravitz because she's been like hovering, you know, but she, this is like, this is the movie that actually feels like it's her, it, her time has come. Um, and you know, I think she came prepared. You know, we've all seen 
I think the tweet where somebody said was like, there was a lady in my movie theater where when she first popped on the screen, she audibly moaned. <laughs> as we all did, y'all. As, as we, we all, all did. did. Like, I'm pretty sure I did. And then me and E kind of just looked at each other. Um, but, <laughs> you know, she she is sexy, but she's badass. And she's also willing, uh, uh, you know, to kill for what she wants in this movie. You know, and, and you, we may not, like, actually see it, but that um that is just again so important i think in this iteration we see of catwoman there's so many things about it that makes her different i it's such a long list that i almost don't even want to get to it but she is she is black she she's broke you know we just talked about Anne hathaway (laughs) how she didn't seem broke in that movie this woman got on a ski mask with little cat ears on it like she don't have a lot going on bro clearly she the, the rent is due uh and it is not expensive i swear things are like 498 dollars. i'm like what rent you paying where you stay at that uh, had to be the utility <laughs> bill that there, there, there's no way that could have been the rent in gotham i, I just don't but that had to just be backed up yeah, utilities yeah that's probably like the electric bill or something even that is right. like man if just like what's going on um but you know it it this is the the one I, I, there's so many differences, and I'm gonna talk about them later. Um, but you know, I I also love the look of this Catwoman. You know, as I was just saying, um, where Michelle Pfeiffer, we talked about in the last our last episode, breaking down our villains and stuff, where she had stitched together her 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 suit. Um, in here, it just seems like she just pulled together some dominatrix leather outfit and, you know, in in that ski mask that I was just talking about. Um, And, you know, she really, she's also, she's also has made up things herself that we can tell, even though we didn't have to see it. We're like, no, she's broke. She, she can only do so much. And we know that um, um, about her. So yeah, man, I, I'm, I was just more than anything as I was watching it, I was like proud of Zoe the whole time, you know, cause she is one of those people that we have been watching for a minute, you know, and, and a lot of those properties, you know, that are, are TV shows and movies that I just named that we've, we've seen, you know, in and out over the years. And it's like, damn, this is finally it. Like you're here. This is your time to shine. I, I really do just think she did a, you know, a good job across the board. It's just, it's sort of ironic as we're recording this, there was a story that came out today about her casting process with the dark Knight rises in the fact that she did not get that role. And she recalls the fact that, she was told that she didn't get the role because she was too urban for mm-hmm. it and the color of her skin was a factor. And she doesn't know if that was a decision by Nolan or if it was a casting director or an assistant casting director. Doesn't really matter to me. I just want to say, fuck that person, whoever it was that made <laughs> that decision because what year are we in to make a silly decision like that? Like, if she's not the right person for the role, so be it. But for those reasons... Mm-hmm. um complete and utter bullshit and as i said in the last episode the best of batman and hathaway did nothing for me Mm -hmm. so i would have rather had zoe kravitz (laughs) but i'm glad we ultimately got her in this movie um in a better movie than that movie for sure so i think it all worked out to 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 the you know to the point of it all and mercy me when she walked in that screen good god i mean you just get the shot of the boots first you don't even realize it's her because it happens really fast Mm -hmm. she walks into the meeting between penguin and batman and you see that it's her and it's just like oh yeah there were many audible groans across the country (laughs) uh there were a lot of sounds i think coming out of audiences across the country when she popped on screen because my lord i mean we've seen her for a long time now yeah. as you said she's been around but it's just something about seeing her on that big screen and that yeah, outfit knowing that she's selena kyle is just different it's a different mm-hmm. vibe and 
beyond that, beyond the sexiness and the beautiful, you know, the beautiful looks to her, I mean, she's a gorgeous woman. I just love the fact that, you know, in this version of Catwoman, finally, really, really finally, um, and Michelle Pfeiffer was sort of that way, but I think really now mm-hmm. we're getting a fully realized three-dimensional character with Catwoman, and she has her own life outside of the Batman yeah. storyline. Like, mm-hmm. it's not... Her motivations and why she exists within this film is really separate from Batman as a character because she's more concerned with her partner. And I love the mm-hmm. fact that they made her, you know, bisexual in this movie. They they clearly made that distinction that she she's attracted and probably dates both men and women. She's dating mm-hmm. a woman in this movie. Zoe Kravitz, Kravitz played her in that particular way. And I love the fact that she had her own existence away from Batman. Her her yeah. existence was not predicated based off of the fact that you got this guy with a cape and a cow running around Gotham. She was already a cat burglar. And she's like multifaceted, you know, mm-hmm. in, a, in a sort of weird, twisted way. Like she's also working at the nightclub mm-hmm. she's also helping deal drugs you know it's kind, of, yeah. it's kind of all these different things i'm like but that's for me with the story that they're telling like because she is this anti-hero she is this femme fatale you know she's she's mm-hmm. wearing all these different hats and even with all of these different things that she's juggling she's still becoming Catwoman. Exactly. you know she's not fully formed as you said like mm-hmm. she is broke and she's trying to get money and make her way but she's becoming Catwoman. we're seeing right. all of that evolve and by the end of the movie i just love the the small nod that they made the fact that she's going to leave and you know either go upstate or go to bloodhaven we know mm-hmm. that bloodhaven is directly from the comics typically you know nightwing, nightwing. has been the hero for bloodhaven mm-hmm. so if they take catwoman in a different direction and give her her own series or movie i mean mm-hmm. you've done a lot of great work to set that stuff up and i would love to see that and i just thought that zoe having just her own true motivation and purpose throughout this film is is really really essential and really key in terms of differentiating her from everything that we've seen before and the and the big the big thing that 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 comes out of this is the fact that she ends up being carmine falcone's daughter which was certainly a surprise certainly changing the origin of the character from the comics you know from what we're typically used to seeing but she has a direct relationship with this guy in this movie and that provides a lot more insight in terms of why she is so involved in this world, this criminal underworld, not only working at the Iceberg Lounge, but then also is trying to unravel this mystery and figure out what happens to her partner, Annika, you know, throughout that. Um, how did you feel about that decision to make her directly related to Carmine Falcone? Uh, I, I think we had just seen it in the recent The Long Halloween. So it, it makes sense to me, but I love uh, ground her to Gotham. Um, and that's the thing that we haven't gotten out of these previous cat women is none of them have really been grounded in Gotham. Even even uh, uh, the Tim Burton, Michelle Pfeiffer cat woman. Sure, she was like in Gotham, but she was just like a secretary to, you know, Max Shriek or whatever or Shrek. Mm-hmm. And it's like, OK, but like, what else do you do? Like, where did you come from? And I think, you know, this gives her her own purpose. Right. It gives her her own reasoning to do the things that she does. She has her own mission. She's like, Batman, you can be here or not, but I'm going to go find Annika. I'm trying to get revenge on this dude who's my dad, who doesn't know he's my dad. Um, And I remember in the long Halloween, it was like a whole thing where she was just trying to learn her mom's name. And that's also what made it good, though. It's like, damn, you don't even know your mama's name. That's good character motivation to me. And I think they gave her a couple good character mo- motiv- motivations here, again, in in uh, what Falcone did to her mom, and, but also what Falcone ultimately did to Annika at the end of the day. So it, it, I, I love how, again, rooted that is in, in her quest for revenge or her quest um, to do what she needs to get done as Catwoman. It, like, it, it gave her just a different uh, uh, layer of a character. 
and it's also really sad to know that like the two probably the two most important people in her life her mother and her girlfriend Mm -hmm. were both killed by her father is a really fucked up thing and like carmine falcone has this weird honestly you know john Turturro didn't really lean into this and play him this way he did it i think he did it subtly because he's just he's a he's a legend he's a phenomenal actor Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to go over the top with it but the guy's a psychopath i mean he he almost gets off on strangling women, yeah. I feel like, because he mm-hmm. strangled her mother. He he admits that as he's trying to kill Selena. He strangled Annika. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this person, you know, that she's related to is responsible for so much pain in her life is just like, it's heartbreaking, but it, yeah. it, 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 it adds more to the idea of why she's seeking out her own version of vengeance. But mm-hmm. she has to she has to learn from Batman in those pivotal moments that, you know, it can't go this way. You mm-hmm. can't. You can't go to that dark area because you might not ever come back for, from it. You might not ever recover from just seeking out vengeance and and, and going on a revenge mission. And right. so I like that she was able to be convinced. But then you know, Carmine Falcone, he still suffered the fate that he suffered. He still mm-hmm. died, and she was she was still satisfied by it. And I like that. I liked it. Yeah. But I like that she wasn't responsible for it because she doesn't have to. She doesn't have to hold that, you know. Mm-hmm. But he he ultimately got what he deserved. But I, I, I man, everything that Zoe brought to this role was just really really tremendous. And and of course, like the chemistry b- between her and Robert Pattinson, it, that's a really important and integral mm-hmm. aspect to batman and catwoman in in many in many iterations like how is the chemistry the sexual tension um i feel like bill and Anne hathaway had none of that at all just mm-hmm. period we just saw no sexual tension at all between those two in my eyes so i love the fact that we got back to that in this movie because there is that true genuine heat that exists between those two and i felt like it was i felt like it was palpable i felt like you could tell like there's a genuine attraction here and i love that it's a small thing but anytime they were kissing each other Mm -hmm. she was the one to initiate it and i thought that that was really important because Mm -hmm. again she is like playing the character as bisexual so the fact that she's showing that that's what she wanted i thought was also a really good choice but i really got the sense like yeah these two could they could get it on at any moment like (laughs) you know i don't know i don't know if we'll ever get a batman movie with a sex scene like that but you can just feel that there's there's that there's that longing you know Uh to to want to like lean in and go in it you know further and like at the end she's trying to convince him to come away with her and she knows like he's not gonna leave but he kind of probably wants to behind that cape mcgall he's like man god damn it why did i commit my life to this why did i (laughs) he's like why did i sign up for this shit god damn damn it it. (laughs) yeah he even like leans in a little bit at the end she right does. there and yeah. she doesn't give it to him either she's like hell right. no you're gonna have to come <laughs> get this <laughs> yeah no it ain't gonna be that easy yeah yeah that that's just really small stuff like that i think it just it adds so much depth you know to their relationship so i don't know you know with the future of selena and what that may hold do you see her popping up in a sequel do you see a separate project for her entirely whether it be a series or a spinoff or do you do you think that she she continues to play i i i don't say supportive in a pejorative sense like i think Mm -hmm. that her supportive role is important but do you think that she continues to play more of a supportive role in future batman movies maybe a little bit of both um you know i think the relationship that 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 batman and catwoman share in this movie uh, and the way the movie ends, right? It literally cuts with them. Uh, it's, it does feel like a swan song. They're like doing this little motorcycle dance thing. Um, but, and you know, and they ultimately, you know, they have to leave each other. But it it's such an important part of his development 
that in the way they leave it, it feels like they have to readdress it in a movie. It has to be Batman that readdresses it, you know, not 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 only her. And even her in-between could still be, uh, uh, you know, chaperoned by TV shows. I think that's perfectly possible. I think in the next Batman film, we may not see Catwoman, right? She may be doing something else in a HBO TV series. That could be definitely possible, but I definitely think in uh, a third and even fourth who knows even fourth movie that it will will see her again because um of of what they had to i think accomplish in this movie and what catwoman does for bruce in this movie uh uh i have a whole soapbox of that um on, on, on what they do to each other but i think that's where they're they'll they'll end up by the way there's a lot of talk about these spinoff series for hbo max I'll take them all, please. I, I, let me <laughs> let me get them all. I, I have no reservations Everyone. about anything at this point. Give me Catwoman. Give me the Gotham PD that you've been talking about. Give me Arkham. Give me Penguin. Mm-hmm. I'll take them all. Just like let's load them up. Let's just go all in at this point let's because they're clearly creating their own sort of separate Batverse, you know, mm-hmm. and really expanding the scope of what that looks like. And I'm just like I'm here for it. So with the popularity of Catwoman already, in addition to the fact that mostly everybody is really, really taking to the portrayal from, from Zoe Kravitz here. I mean, shit, why not? Like, let's give it another try. I obviously the Halle Berry patience Phillips, whatever the fuck that was, it just didn't work (laughs) out. Clearly it's one of the, I mean, worst, literally one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah. It's just awful, but we're in different times. Superhero films have evolved. They've mm-hmm. gotten significantly better since those days, since those years. I I would not have any reservations about revisiting a solo, mm-hmm. standalone Catwoman, whatever, series, movie, whatever it may be. Right. However, I do agree with you that she still needs to be a part of these Batman movies. Mm-hmm. I think that they've established a level of importance to her and her relationship with Robert Pattinson and, and yeah. Bruce in this film that... I, I want to see that continue, you know, and I want to see that direct that direct kinship continue to evolve as opposed to being removed entirely. Like we could do both. And I would be I would be really happy with that. Um, let's go ahead and move on to talk about the main villain of the movie, Paul Dano as the Riddler, a.k.a. Edward Nashton. If you are justice, please do not <laughs> lie. What is the price for your blind eye? <laughs> this guy here, man. Edward Nashton. First of all, they Edward changed his name. Nashton. No longer, no longer Enigma. He's Edward Nashton. Uh, Paul Dano as the Riddler. Yeah. Really interesting choice. Paul Dano. I would assume not a name that most people know. Not a not an actor that most people are familiar with. We've talked about him on the show. Obviously, we have a lot actually. <laughs> we have. We've been trying to get people ready, bro. We've been trying to tell people and get them ready for this movie. Like, watch these. Go mm-hmm. check this out. We're trying to get him hip. But Paul Dano, he's been working for twenty five years. He's been in the industry for a really long time. But he's mostly done small. Mm -hmm. independent movies that just haven't been seen by a ton of people this is the biggest movie without a doubt that he's done up until this point i would say prior to this the biggest movie that he had done would i guess i'd have to say there will be blood just based off of the fact that it won so many academy Mm -hmm. awards and he's Mm -hmm. co-starring with daniel day lewis one of the greatest actors of of our generation probably um but in terms of like franchises and and notoriety this this is kind of the big one for him that he's finally stepping into the limelight Mm -hmm. and of course, playing the Riddler, an iconic Batman villain who's been a part of Batman lore pretty much almost since the beginning, and he's been immortalized in the 66 television series, and then furthermore by Jim Carrey in Batman Forever. Again, go check out our conversation, The Best of Batman, to 
hear all Jim Carrey talk, but he's doing something very different with this mm-hmm. this role, something that we haven't quite seen before. Um, many different things that happen, and I think also maybe. Some of the points that people nitpick about this movie, I think, are directly tied to the Riddler conversation. Not no, not not so much with the character himself, but maybe some of the plot, mm-hmm. maybe some of the things that happen with his motivation and what he ultimately is trying to do and accomplish with this mission. But I'm sure we'll get into some of those specifics. But overall, big picture thoughts. What do you think about Paul Dano as the Riddler? Oh, man. Um, just one of my already one of my favorites, I think, on the big screen in terms of, you know, Batman movie villains. Uh, you know, the, the influence that Matt Reeve used for this character was just so good. Um, and you know, even a lot of the, the cinematography and the ideas of the film, I think stem from the story in that now he's, he's only trying to tell for Batman and Gotham, but for who Riddler is serving to be in this movie too, you know, um, uh, uh, I'm gonna keep talking about these influences, but movies like Seven and Zodiac were so important for this, for what Matt Reeves is trying to do here. Um, um, but also, this dude is like fucking jigsaw. Like this dude is—it's like we're watching a Saw movie too. And there's even like some some green tints that Saw has, you know, in the, the color grading of Saw too. I was like, dang, this dude is kind of kind of feels like jigsaw a little bit too and people forget those are low-key like cop buddy cop ish kind of movies too you know and in, in a lot of their cores and they're trying to catch a serial killer who keeps making all these puzzles i'm like huh that's another movie <laughs> that, that also feels similar here but um you know he does still use a little of the dark knight but in a good way like it's not like you see it and you're like oh man this, this movie sucks because it's like a little bit of the dark it's like no like joker used tools like the internet to spread fear, you know, and, and Riddler is doing that even on a, a grander scale here, man. He literally is taking video in the internet and in, 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 in riddles to scare this community of people, uh, into, but, but into, into getting to the truth of what he thinks is righteousness. Um, and I, so I think, I think Paul Dano was killing it. I thought he did honestly what needed to be done. I love the voices that he used. I'm trying to figure out what kind of psychopath can cut freaking duct tape with his hands like that um because i always got to use like scissors or like my teeth or something when i'm using duct tape the man was just ripping it with his hands i i just didn't understand i was like how are you doing this bro you are insane um but the the how like disturbed this dude was as a person was really dope to me um in in especially to see this in a in such a superhero film i thought was was really uh cool man um so yeah, I'll leave it right there for now. I have a lot more to say, but I think overall, I, I really enjoyed him, man. I think he killed it. Man, I, from if what we see anything at, at the end of the film is true, I can't wait till he comes back. <laughs> I'm trying to see him again, give us that crazy voice and, and the, the weird, I, I guess, cadence in which he talks is so crazy. Those weird breaths that he takes is very conscious choices you know the way he looks at batman in the diner when when batman steps up to the to the glass to the window is all so important i I just think he was every time he was on screen i was having a ball watching him be a terror to the city so um yeah man i enjoyed him dano was fantastic he was obviously the perfect choice for this it's so interesting as we go back to the development of this movie that at one point in time Jonah Hill was in the conversation for this role. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that, but Jonah Hill was a part Which of those initial wild. conversations. <laughs> uh, at that time, it was rumors as to whether he was going to be either the Riddler or the Penguin. It mm-hmm. was kind of rumored that he was going to be both. 
Obviously, it didn't work out. He wanted more money than they were willing to give him, and so they go with Dano, which uh, a very inspired choice, but a choice that I love because of the work that he's done prior to this. Mm-hmm. Prisoners, fantastic what film. A movie. There will be blood, of course. Fantastic movie, and he's also done diverse stuff. Like he isn't always just playing this crazy, deranged guy. He isn't mm-hmm. always just the antagonist. Like I even like him in Little Miss Sunshine. He doesn't yeah. say a lot in that movie, but he conveys a lot with his body language. You know, so mm-hmm. he's been a, again a really eccentric and has done diverse work for the better part of 25 years but to come into this and to give us a really terrifying horrific version of this character that we just have not been exposed to yet in live action is a bold choice but a choice that he is perfectly suited for and in those opening moments of the movie when you see him looking at the mayor through the binoculars like you just you kind of know it's Riddler at that point Mm -hmm. because why would Batman be spying on the mayor so you just kind of know something's off and then he 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 breaks into his penthouse through the skylight, and then you just get that moment when the mayor's like watching back the debate that he has with Bella Real on TV. He steps out of the frame, and uh, fucking Riddler's right there in the dark. Cinema, it's like cinema. <laughs> Scor- Scorsese, cinema, and it's just like whoa. That is again, it's so it's so different because it's giving off these horror movie vibes where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, the killer, the killer's in the house. Like the killer, the killer has infiltrated the house. And then he just beats him to death with a damn carpet, a carpet uh, tool, tucker. you know, yeah. tucker. Yeah. Which we found out later. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, so this guy's really twisted. And I just love the meticulous details of the character. Like even the choice of like the look, like Paul Dano was very instrumental in how the costume mm-hmm. looked and the fact that he specifically found the winter combat mask that he wears throughout the movie. And the reason that he wanted to wear a mask is because he said he, he felt like he got a new sense of power by 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 wearing mm-hmm. the mask and he personally picked it out for himself and that just speaks to the idea of masks and also like look at the mirror image of what that what that means that's batman batman mm-hmm. wears a mask and even this version of the riddler is very much a fan of batman and has become very much inspired by the idea of batman yes. he he basically admits at the end that he was inspired because of the existence of the batman throughout gotham to do what he does and so I always like to tell people, you know, every Batman villain is just an extension of his own personality, just mm-hmm. gone terribly wrong, right? And the Riddler is that more psychological and also just more cunning and, and, and intelligent extension of Batman. Like, what if you take the intelligence and the brain of Batman and you just completely twist it up and make it demented? And that's yeah. what he become. The fact that he wraps his hair in saran wrap is also very conscious because he doesn't want to leave DNA behind at the crime scene. He doesn't want to leave a strand of hair. I'm just like, that is so meticulous, but Mm -hmm. so important because he is an obsessive serial killer, but he doesn't want to be caught in that way. He has Mm -hmm. a very specific plan in terms of how he ends up getting caught at the end of the movie, and he's going to see it through. And he just has so many moments throughout this movie. Again, that opening that opening is just really, really powerful. It's also kind of jarring because we haven't seen a Batman movie open like that in particular. Yeah. Um, and then just like the subsequent sort of showdowns that he has. One of my favorite parts in the movie is the whole sequence from the kidnapping of Gil Coulson, played by Peter Sarsgaard, mm-hmm. you know, as he comes out of the Iceberg Lounge, all the way through to the funeral when you're having that sort of that 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 game of riddles you know in order mm-hmm. to get the bomb from around his neck just such an intense harrowing scene that really builds up the tension and the danger of that character because he's having so much fun behind his cell phone mm-hmm. while this man's life is on the line and he's trying to expose the corruption and all the stuff i mean that stuff just really worked well for me and the riddles themselves you know i don't know what i was expecting out of the riddles 
if 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 I expected them to be more sophisticated, but I think that the riddles themselves, like the actual like wording mm-hmm. of them and how they worked out, I mean, they really serviced the story, and I think in a, in a smart way in terms of still. setting up the <laughs> setting up the the chronological sort of order that he had to carry all of that stuff out in order to mm-hmm. you know see his plan come to fruition. But um, just those small details and small choices were yeah. just so just so well done. Yeah, they were even him being a freaking four chan insurgent with a chat room of people named the i forgot what their names was but they were all just like ratchet and probably racist white dudes up in there oh it's big intel energy incel, sure. yeah insurgent q9 yeah, yeah. everybody's like okay what rifles are we using and stuff like that uh but you know i've always loved you know i heard matt reeves talk about this in interview too how you know he talks about the batman comes before a lot of his rogues gallery right because the rogues gallery is inspired by the mask they're inspired when batman becomes batman they're like oh shoot maybe i can put on a mask or i can put on or make my own name and you know become a villain you know and by that same token we see here riddler is doing everything he thinks is right and and i i always love that in any i think villain origin story where most villains do think they're doing something right but uh it's crazy because him inherently the way riddler or the fact that riddler is exposing what was happening underneath the surface you know with a lot of these government officials and stuff is uh uh it, it is in, in a way righteousness, but not in the way of law. Right. Not by the way of killing. He's killing people. Um, but but, you know, he's exposing rats and corrupt police and government officials. And the whole time he thinks Batman is on his side. And I think that's like you're killing it, bro. Like this is this is really good character motivation. I think, you know, I I, I can kind of see, I think, where people were coming from a little bit from the maybe the, the small orphan standpoint and stuff but i liked it man you know which you know is is one of my favorite parts of the film i think is how you know in the beginning batman was you know talking about um you know how he was like it's been two years and nothing has really changed it's only gone up you know he's like crime has only gone up um and how he goes around fighting these bullies and crime lords and gotham uh in the name of vengeance but you know at the end when Commissioner Gordon asked the the Riddler guy, you know, who who who's not even uh, he's not even the Riddler, you know, one of the Riddler insurgents or whatever, he's like, who is he? He's like vengeance. And seeing Batman's reaction is everything, because uh, you know, it's it's so rewarding because the it's like a light bulb finally went off, you know, in Batman's head about what he's been doing wrong the entire time, which probably. You know, there's always been this 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 line that Batman operates in this movie, right? Between vigilantism and villainism. Is villainism a word? I'm not sure if villainism word. But between we'll make it a word. We'll make it a word. Between vigilantism and villainism. And you know, Batman doesn't operate too far from villainism, you know, too too many times. You know, just the way he is outside of the law and the way he is willing to do certain things to get uh to get justice done. Um, I think, which is, you know, another reason why Riller thinks he's doing something righteous. Because Gotham doesn't need a night of vengeance or else Riddler was right, right? And Riddler's not crazy, <laughs> you know? And, you know, the Batman has been on his side all along. Instead, they need a symbol of hope. I think that's what makes, like, the flare at the end of the movie, you know, in the water so meaningful and important because, you know, he's, like... Or, like, him carrying the lady to the stretcher or whatever because, he, you know, she doesn't want to let go. The, the, the bat in the shadows has done good in the presence of light and you know and i think that being 
that being a learning curve for Batman was great. And I'm not sure, you know, a villain has always served that purpose to like tell Batman, no, it's what you did. What we both think is right. Isn't always right. <laughs> I think like he, 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 he's on a weird side of justice. I think, I think he's understanding what he's doing is wrong. And I, I love that about the film and that Riddler could give him that sense of learning in such a, his early point in Batman um so yeah it's like i love when villains mold the heroes it's it's just a really dope thing to happen um and and i appreciated that about this riddler yeah yeah batman certainly learned sort of his lesson and, and fulfilled his arc because of the riddler because of that conversation at the end before we get to that though i do want to um just like quickly talk about his plan and like what his whole purpose was in this movie. So going into this, there is like an air of mystery surrounding the plot and what, mm -hmm. what ultimately is what's this unmasking the truth that the Riddler keeps alluding to. Why is he killing all of these powerful influential figures, whether it's the police commissioner or the mayor um, or the DA played by Peter Sarsgaard. So we, we find out essentially that, the Riddler exposes the history of the of the the Wayne family and mm -hmm. the Arkham's. We we see in this you know this version, which this is pulling from from comics as well. That Martha Wayne is actually a part of the Arkham family, um, and she you know eventually gets with Thomas Wayne, of course. But she has a history of mental illness, yeah. and as Thomas Wayne was running for mayor, um, he leaks this evidence that Thomas hired Carmine Falcone to kill a journalist. Um, you know, this journalist was threatening to reveal this 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 history mm -hmm. of Martha Wayne and her family, what Martha Wayne's mother had done to to her father. <clears throat> and so because of this, Riddler's revealing all of this information as as a way to expose just the the history of corruption that exists without within Gotham and how it's, you know, sort of funneled in every single system, you know, whether it is politics or the police force or anything of that nature. Um were you as surprised by those reveals? Like, was that was that ultimately kind of like the shocking moment for you that I think some of us expected going into this? Because there is that that inspiration that's taken from Seven. You know, like mm. Seven is very much a methodical movie where you watch it, but you don't really know what's going on until the last twenty minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Until John Doe reveals what his plan is. You're just kind of following along the journey and getting a piece of the puzzle along the way. Mm -hmm. This is similar. This is very much like following in those footsteps to where we really don't get the answers until the final act of the movie. And I found it to be an interesting choice. And I liked it purely because of the fact that it ultimately spoke to the themes of the movie. You know, it mm. didn't, for me, it didn't matter as much as to whether it was like a huge shocking thing. Like I didn't mm -hmm. need it to be the most, you know, atomic level information ever but i think that it served the story and what was necessary but i'm interested to know like what did you think about the actual reveal of, of that information yeah uh i liked it <laughs> as well too i think like you said i don't think it needed to be this like big i don't know blockbuster <laughs> you know thing of information but i think it it, it was important towards um again what whatever the vision that that Reeves has going forward uh just in general as this Batman is trying to figure out himself and the state that all of this just leaves Gotham in at the end of the day you know I think that's one of my favorite things about what what the the last act of the movie really means is that really they lost you know like this Thomas Wayne is exposed for being who he is and shit is underwater and none of that really gets cleaned up. It's like, nope, this is Gotham underwater and Thomas Wayne is still quote unquote corrupt. 
you know, and that's how it ends. And, you, you know, I think the revealing of that information is uh, uh, it's it's a conscious choice to say this shit sucks. <laughs> it really is It's like, hello, Batman. Nothing is perfect, especially not your parents. Now, now, what are you going to do about it? Um, and and, you know, and that power grab is going to be a part of what's later to come. But because because of that, it, it I think you know matt reeves i think he has so much going on in his head bro that he's it's literally building blocks and that information was like oh here's another building block to throw out there that we can build on later on down the line so i you know i at the time i was like you know i like this um because it gives us it gives us more to latch on to later it gives us a small uh uh, tidbit of something that that that'll continue to to haunt (laughs) <laughs> you know this this entire universe to be honest of, of of what's going on so i appreciated it i agree you know it's it's not it's not like the earth shattering information of like john doe has the upper hand it's not that moment but mm-hmm. it is the implications are huge right as you mentioned there's going to be a power grab because riddler has killed so many people he's killed the police commissioner mm-hmm. he killed the mayor you know there's a new mayor elect now obviously bella Royale. uh Real. um he's DA. killed all these people the da you mm-hmm. know so there's a void that exists within the structures of gotham in terms of like where people look to and where they have to sort of place their faith in in terms of the the institutions that exist the there's a literal a literal void that exists on top of the fact that moving forward, Bruce is going to have to reckon with that information. Uh, earlier in the film, he says, like, this is my parents' legacy. Well, what does that legacy even mean anymore? Mm-hmm. Because your parents hit a lot of information. They might not have been completely honest. And it's ultimately more reflective of, I think, real life and real society. Like the Nolan trilogy, the Waynes were very much aspirational figures. They were mm-hmm. really good, really positive. They did so much for the city. And mm-hmm. Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne was trying to live up to that idea and to fulfill the legacy of his family and, and, and save Gotham. And and here it's, it's almost the complete opposite. You have like some really dark stuff under the surface yeah. that, that that'll have to continue to be reminded and brought back into future iterations, because mm-hmm. I think it is more reflective of real life where if you have some really rich people that have these extremely powerful positions in their mainstays within a city, they have this, you know, generational and institutional influence. I mean, come on, mm-hmm. who are we kidding? What's the likelihood that they're going to be all good and morally righteous and do everything right? That doesn't mean that they were bad. And I think we find out more about Thomas as we get the information revealed from Alfred that he just made a bad choice and he kind of went down the wrong path and he certainly regretted it. But in that position of power, you're going to make mistakes, and those mistakes have extreme repercussions, as we see. And so yeah. I thought that that was that was all interesting. What about the flooding of the city? Because I've mm-hmm. heard some people nitpick at that too, uh, like, "Oh, that was the plan. He just wanted to, you know, destroy Gotham." Um, what do you think about just like that whole idea? Because that was that came really late in the third act. I think mm-hmm. by that point we had already gotten all the information revealed to us. Riddler had sort of revealed ultimately what he was trying to do. He revealed that Batman inspired him and that he thought they were working together. But sort of his ace of spades, you know, the the you know, I guess the Joker card in his in his sleeve that he had was the fact that he blew up these 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 docks, you know, to, to flood the city mm-hmm. ultimately and to cause, you know, this massive amount of, you know, water damage throughout the city. What do you think about just that whole, you know, sort of final set piece? Yeah, man. Uh, again, I think this that that's the part that makes it feel like I remember back when we were talking about Dune, we were like, OK, what what about Dune takes away from it? And it's the fact that it's a part one. <laughs> and I think that's a, a, a maybe that for some people that's what takes it uh that part away from them it's like the end of the movie 
that shit's still flooded. Like it's it's bad, and you know that rebuilding is going to have to take time or whatever they have to do in order to get the the city uh, back to a normal state. I think is going to be where we do begin the next Batman movie. Um, but I I think I like that about it. Um, even though that did come late in in, in 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 you know the Riddler's plans, I'm like at least it's something. You know, it wasn't like. I don't know, just the just the insurgents and the intels on top trying to assassinate people in Gotham Square Garden or whatever they called it. It was a little bit more, something a little bit more everlasting. Um, and I think the Riddler being uh, as meticulous, I think, as he is, it made sense. It's Because he, he probably was thinking the exact same thing. If I am to get myself captured, what am I going to do to make my presence felt and my symbol everlasting, right? That's what he said. He was like, I'm, they're, they're going to remember me now. And, and, and that's the way in which they're going to remember him. He's the villain that flooded the city. That's what he wanted to do. And I think as a villain, as, as somebody who does want to get you know revenge on a city that's been so corrupt for so long, it makes sense for something like that to be like, damn, you did what? And I'm sure a lot of people died that we really didn't talk about because that shit got flooded, bro. Oh, had um, to, yeah. Yeah, but and you know, like I said, we didn't we didn't talk about it, but I'm sure that existed, um, and that, and that, it'll have to pop up in the next movie. But I like that. I love that this is serving more than just this movie, and that to me is like one of the few things that is. You know, I was, we talked about kind of Catwoman and her relationship, maybe the Riddler and Joker, what they got going on, how Batman is such like this new bat, and he has stuff to learn. All that's on the table. Well, the flooding on the city of the city is also on the table of something we get to explore later down the line. It's like opening up. I don't know some new candy, and but you don't get to eat it all right now. You can eat it; it'll be it's great now, but it's gonna be good too later down the line when you get to eat the rest. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of how I feel about it, and, and and so I I didn't mind it at all. I was like, yeah, let's talk about it in the next episode. I'll see Gotham dark and underwater. Let's get into it. You know, that's just how I thought about it. I I was thinking in my mind like Matt Reeves. I'm like, damn, that's cool to have a Gotham underwater where Batman has to fight now. What does that look like? And so uh, uh, I, I I thought it was a cool choice. Yeah, it was bold. I mean, you you don't get that type of destruction typically until the third movie in a franchise. Like mm -hmm. if you're doing a concluding, you know, trilogy, if you're you're you know wrapping up your story, that's when you like just go for it and just like let's blow some shit up, let's wreck some shit, let's have a natural disaster, whatever the case may be. It really reminded me of like No Man's Land. Like we're mm -hmm. already sort mm -hmm. of kind of there when the city is like suffering extreme extreme levels of damage. Like not only psychologically, institutionally, but physically the city's fucked up now yeah. you know, because of the flooding and it was also like when you watch it, it it you know i hate to say this and you know related to real life but it, it, it kind of reminded me of like a hurricane katrina mm -hmm. or you know a sandy you know these huge this wasn't a natural disaster it was obviously caused by bombing but the visuals and like the mm -hmm. fact that like you had all those people standing on top of gotham square garden waiting to be rescued by first responders and the helicopters coming in like all of that water, it very much looked like Katrina, which was mm -hmm. a little haunting, but I think it was a good choice like that evokes that same sort of feeling and imagery because it helps you relate to that city because mm. Gotham isn't a real place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's also, you know, sort of fiction and, and, and you know, created from imagination, but right. it, it helps ground that city like, oh, I we we as a country sort of like saw what this could mean for a place like mm -hmm. new orleans is still recovering from that to this day yeah um and it took a long time for them to rebound and as you said i think that this is going to have further reaching implications as we move forward towards the future which is a good thing it's a really really good thing to have a villain that has consequences that doesn't just mm -hmm. end up in a in a padded cell and that's the last you hear from him it's like no even even if we don't see paul dano again as the riddler 
Like, he did some shit that people are going to have to talk about. Yeah. That's going to be, as a character, Bella Raoul is the, is the, the new mayor. That's probably going to be her number one thing to deal with. You know, not only, like, getting the proper pe- people in place with these different positions, but she got to clean up the city. She got to get mm-hmm. this shit back back together, you know, which is going to take a ton of work, you know, that's going to have to have to happen on and off screen. Um, but let's talk about Jeffrey Wright as James Gordon. Speaking of institutions and law enforcement and all of that, obviously, James Gordon is a huge, huge character within the Batman franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, also an extremely talented actor who's been in so many great things. And um, this is now, you know, sort of race bending the character, making him black, um, which we haven't seen in live action before. But no reason to not. You know, there's nothing inherently white about Detective mm-hmm. James Gordon. So um, he's actually a lieutenant in this movie. He hasn't made it to commissioner status yet, but he's very much worked. Working in partnership with the Batman. They have firmly established this buddy relationship. You know, the fact that they work together on different crimes. They've been working together for two years. As we said earlier, the first time we see them together on screen is when he brings him into the first crime scene. And the cops are very resentful towards Batman. They're also looking at Gordon like, yo, you're really going to risk yourself (laughs) for this guy? You're putting Mm -hmm. your, your name on the line for this guy? And he continues to do so repeatedly throughout this movie over and over and over again. And so... I thought that the foundational pieces put in place here were really, really good stuff. And I thought Jeffrey Wright brought a new, interesting take on Gordon. Um, and again, like an element that we just haven't quite seen, like mm-hmm. the true the true buddy partnership between mm-hmm. these two. And the fact that there's like a an extreme level of trust that they have that obviously has not been extended to the rest of the GCPD. Yeah, except he's like, I don't even know what you look like, man. I, I love how you know uh jeffrey wright (laughs) jim gordon just keeps calling batman man throughout the film it's like how much more friend (laughs) can you get than this dude keep calling him man i thought that was funny but i also love how they do keep going on these small little adventures together you know they went to the the car of the mayor together in the whole thumb drive thing they did that together and they went to the penguin bro one of my favorite things uh one, one thing i love about this movie is a little like subtle comedy that gives you a little bit levity in the film to make it to just take away from it just a little bit it's like ah that was funny and then they kind of move on genius um but yeah you know they 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 it really is a, a buddy cop you know over and over and i i appreciate that about them um especially the moment where he try, he's trying to get him out the jail cell bro uh that, again comedy but also it's like these dudes are friends and jim gordon really has taken a, a, a step of sacrifice really to have batman in this uh uh in this realm you know where they get to operate together he's brought him into the cop business um and and you know thinking back on that first scene one of the things i love most is the corrupt dude that was in that room was the one who was loudest about batman not being there <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in inside of the commissioner you know and so uh, it, it's 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 I, I love that we get to see this Gordon that's still very fresh. We kind of seen one a little bit in Batman Begins, uh, but this one is like he feels he feels like just as fresh, <laughs> I think, as Batman does um, a little bit in terms of what's going on. He's like, skip all them other dudes. This is a me and you thing. Like we, you are my real partner. No matter what else we have going on inside this whole precinct, because um, instantly, you know, he gets to a spot. And then, uh, or he gets out of the the jail cell, and they they back meeting on the roof. Like well, that was like five minutes later after old boy jumped off the roof. 
he's like, all right, so what do we have? And, you know, they're like mm-hmm. talking again and then they got to go see the penguin and this and that. I just I, I, I just love that sequence. They're just usually always together. Um, as much as we do see the Batman in suit in this in this movie, we see a lot of Jim Gordon. Like I, I was like thinking back on it, I was like, damn, Jim Gordon's there and then he's there and they're almost in the, everywhere at the exact same time even the last sequence jim he's like batman is hanging from there tell me firefighters how the hell do i get up there like that's my partner up there um and i'm not sure we've ever seen that much com- camaraderie out of the two before especially in live action um and, and again we get that here again that's that's all the movies we said before that's coming to light here there is the seven again where they're working together in in in, in all these other movies so um yeah i just thought it was dope i thought we already know jeffrey wright is a freaking legend um but you know here he is again portraying a a already established character and bringing something new to him um that i appreciate yeah i think uh not much to add in terms of the partnership all the stuff you just said but what i what i do really love that we got to explore and really see and and invest time into is the fact that Gordon is really stepping out on a ledge for Batman mm-hmm. repeatedly. He has to repeatedly make the choice to work with him and put his name on the line. And the fact that like there's so many people within the GCPD that just don't support that and they look at Gordon really weird, but he doesn't care. He still does it and persists anyway, mm-hmm. even in the moments of, you know, peril or, you know, anytime that they come across a challenge, like He makes the case for why Batman should be present, why he's okay to be in the crime scene, why he's okay to be in the room and 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 still and he, you know, Gordon still walks away out of it with, you know, his job intact. Like he's Mm -hmm. still because he's that good. He's that good of a detective. He's that good of a lieutenant. And I think the GCPD knows that, you know, and so he has he's he's afforded himself, you know, the 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 leeway and, and the leverage to be able to work with Batman so frequently and to not for himself step outside of the law but bend the law you know yeah. and i i think it's it, it's a great signal that gordon is black in this universe because the mm-hmm. gcpd in the story is so fucking corrupt and mm-hmm. he's the only one that's not corrupt mm-hmm. right and that's just like i love that i just yeah. you know frankly i just love what that means and what that looks like viscerally mm-hmm. on screen that he's the one good cop and that's what batman tells him towards the end of the movie as he's leaving that final crime scene uh the riddler's apartment he looks at Gordon and tells him, "You're a good cop," mm-hmm. and that those words were just amazing. I think to have ba- to have Batman say that because we don't we don't ever really see that. Like we don't ever really see Batman acknowledge Gordon in that way. And I think that that was like the small line that needed to be delivered in in, in such a powerful way towards the end of the story that just mm-hmm. like reaffirmed the fact that like no, Gordon is a good guy, yeah. like true truly a good guy amongst many people who were not good. And the fact that he has to, again, continue to persist and work through that every time out is it's really astounding. And I just love what Jeffrey Wright, you know, brought to that role. You know, black people really had a different compass, I think, when it came to this movie in general. You talk about Jim Gordon and what he brought to the table, the newly elected mayor and what she's trying to bring to the table. There are actually there are actually tons of moral compass things that selena kyle had that batman didn't including Mm -hmm. his acknowledgement of his privilege and his wealth and the ways in which he grew up i thought it was so interesting to you know his character as well so i i think that's really dope that uh almost all the black people in the movie you're like yep good job all the black people (laughs) you're doing it (laughs) they know what's up absolutely it's like yeah 
you know in in the context of gotham which there's many characteristics that gotham shares with other big major major metropolitan cities it's it's a reflection of the real world even though it's not a real place oh of course is that not how it would be in in a lot of situations i think it would Mm -hmm. you know to to your point so it's i think it was a it was a smart choice to do that uh now you know you don't want to get the you don't want to get the 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 racist or the misogynist riled up here man they might come out and say oh this is the this <laughs> is the wokest this is the woke man this isn't the batman you know they might just come out and start you know spewing off random shit okay. whatever it doesn't matter but this is I, I agree with you i think that those are all like really conscious and good choices um mm-hmm. let's talk about one of the guys who steals the movie uh Colin Farrell coming in as penguin aka Oswald are you Cop- sure Cop- Cop- Pot. uh you know i wonder i have to I'm go back and check sure. like if i'm if i'm actually sure if that was really colin farrell or just like somebody still else not sure bro colin farrell as penguin um but colin farrell coming in here as oz as they refer to him in this movie again as i mentioned earlier jonah hill was initially in the conversation to possibly portray him or maybe mm-hmm. the riddler we don't really know it could have been both they could have just been you know screen testing him for both um but ultimately colin farrell landed the role and absolutely vanishes into four hours worth of makeup into this role to become this character he's completely unrecognizable he transforms um they even put a you know a bigger bigger suit on him to to make him look heavier than he actually is um Mm -hmm. playing a true mobster playing a true gangster here colin farrell coming in has a real gritty new york like accent you know he has the scars on his face he has the elongated nose he got gold teeth i mean just everything the the plaid checker suit you know um but he's like one of the main one of the main gangsters in the movie he's a drug dealer he's distributing this this drug that's going around that has like the drop heads you know um throughout the movie but i mean where do we start with 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 colin Farrell and what he brought to this i mean what what did you think of what he did here First of all, again, I'm I still can't believe that it's him. I need like a I definitely need the the video. You gotta give me the back the back documentary. I need to see everything going on behind the scenes in in this makeup because I man I was like looking for it and I just kept looking at him. I'm like man somewhere in there is Colin Farrell, but that's not him, bro. Like I still can't believe it, but he did a good job, man. Um, in what he brought to the table as Penguin. It's a new take as Penguin. It's Penguin the mobster that we've we've never seen before. I th- we haven't got a lot of Penguins live action anyway. So right. almost anything he did that wasn't Danny DeVito-ish was going to be like, damn, what is it? who's this guy? Um, so I, I really like that about him. Uh, and he really is a character. And I think I love that most about him is that he really like merged himself into this mobster that we don't always get inside of of uh uh i think batman is you know because he feels different than falcone and he feels different than maroney this dude is like whoa take it easy sweetheart like we don't get a lot of you know we don't get a lot of that um when we're watching a lot of these these superhero films um and he did take it to another level man he every time he was on screen i think he was electric man and what he had to do we already know the car chase scene is easily top three in the movie uh for for what was happening there technically and just that whole thing is insane uh but you know it's it's like really impressive to have the idea to dress this dude up like this and for have him to act like this um because it provides a challenge to the actor though it's like i don't look how I think I look right now. How am I supposed to act? You know, and 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 I think Colin did a, a amazing job of of taking a different 
uh, look, you know, at the penguin. And, and man, we're getting TV shows and stuff from him. I'm ready for that too, because that can go anywhere. Because uh, the character is, there's so much to do. But also, he is known as one of the funniest comic book characters that we have, right? And a lot of times he was on screen, you were making little laughs, or when they tie him up. Uh, uh, after the car chase scene, he does a little waddle. You, you laugh, or he he's like uh, La Rata, like y'all don't know any Espanol, no habla Espanol. I'm like, this dude is hilarious, bro. But it's so fitting to who the Penguin is still supposed to be, while giving a different take on this mobster version of him, you know, of this character. Um, so yeah, I just thought he he did a fantastic job across the board. And man, I. Yeah, they're going to have to tell me who this dude really is because I don't know if it's Colin Farrell. He was one of the first, uh, or his character was one of the first announcements in terms of what they were going to do with these HBO Max spinoff series. We do know that there's going to be a Penguin series coming, uh, which we'll talk about towards the end of the show. When I first heard about it, I was very much like Leonardo DiCaprio from Django. It was it was a moment <laughs> of like, gentlemen, you have my curiosity, but after seeing this movie, now you have my attention because goddamn... He he just blew he blew this you know he blew everybody out of the water with the little screen mm-hmm. time that he had. He was in the movie yeah. for less than 10 minutes. If you calculate up his screen time, less than 10 minutes, but he has such an impact because every scene that he was in, he was having mm-hmm. so much fun and he kind of steals the scene. All the things that you mentioned, of course, the car chase is the centerpiece sort of action set piece in the movie is probably the most memorable. It's getting, you know, all sorts of praise at this point, reasonably so. Um, but I just love the fact that he, again, he just completely disappears into this role. And Colin yeah. Farrell has talked about how you'd think that would be a challenge. The fact that like his face is obscured and you can't, you know, tell and, you know, make out that it's him because a lot of movie mm-hmm. stars wouldn't go for that. That's a risky thing to do to just like hide yeah, your face. Exactly. Like, they say your biggest asset as a movie star is your face, right? That's what sells a mm-hmm. movie. But he's like, no, that was actually really liberating because, I'm no longer me. I don't even have to take my own personal self to work anymore because I, I look so different. I don't look mm-hmm. like myself anymore. And so it was such a great thing to just like be able to undergo that transformation and then to see it, you know, here in live action. The makeup in and of itself should be nominated for an Academy Award. Yes. Like we're it's not gonna happen this year. It's gonna be a year away if it does, but I yeah. think it deserves a nomination because it's just really mm-hmm. spectacular, fine, beautiful work on the part of the makeup and the hairstylist, what they had to do with Colin Farrell. And then for him to just, you know, take it to the next level, you know, with with the accent, with the clothing, with the mannerisms and all of that stuff is just like it's just really it's really fine touches, you know, that he added to it. And, you know, Colin Farrell, he's had he's he's had a really storied career and he's done like a lot of interesting mm-hmm. work. And I'm just like, I'm glad to see him come into this and just like do something unexpected, because I think people have some thoughts and ideas about what he's done in the past. Maybe they might not be huge fans of him. Sometimes he kind of falls mm-hmm. under the radar. He's not typically brought up in conversations, but this here showed me a lot from him and his role. But let's talk about that car chase because he he Woo. really is like the main the main character involved in that. Uh, obviously, there's that scene in the middle of the movie. They're looking to figure out who the rat is within within this whole you know sort of crime that the the Batman and and Gordon and Catwoman are also investigating, and they come you know to sort of an interaction um, with with the Penguin, and we get this reveal of the Batmobile in the movie for the first time, like the official reveal of the Batmobile, and we we just have to talk about that in isolation for a second because. First of all, can we get a Batmobile solo movie? Fuck, fuck a character. <laughs> I just want a movie for the Batmobile now. Like, yeah. 
let's just do that. Like, make it like John Carpenter's Christine. Let's do that. Like, if mm-hmm. they can make an entire series about Knight Rider, we can have a Batmobile series <laughs> or a movie or something because Jesus Christmas. The reveal of that, I my, my mind was literally blown because we, it's like the fact that it's a muscle car first, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is something that Batman has put together himself. His blood, sweat, and tears have gone into the creation of this vehicle. It's not a tank. It's not this super high-tech vehicle. It's a muscle car. But it's a muscle car that when he starts it up in that scene, it sounds like a rocket. Like, the, mm-hmm. the sound design in that moment is just so thunderous and ferocious and it literally like it almost got me out of my seat i was so (laughs) i was just so taken aback by it and i could see like all the people around me like everybody's having like this really physical reaction like this is scary this is (laughs) like this is actually fucking frightening because you get the silhouette and the blue the blue fire out of the back everything is just on 12 here mm-hmm. and, and 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 greg frazier the cinematographer he's talked he's talked about how much work it took to make that moment so special and i think matt reeves again one of his strengths is how visual of a director he is he's really a visual director and that that's come across in many of his past movies but i was waiting for that moment in this movie to see something that just like made the hair on my arm stand up and this was that for sure that batmobile reveal was I mean, it's just it's it's one of the best reveals of anything I've ever seen. It was it was that great. Yeah, this is one of I think the few movies that I've seen spark film making conversation on the internet as fast as it did. Usually, everyone's talking about the movie this, the movie that, but I never get like technical thoughts <laughs> about a scene or, or, or things about the movie so fast after you know the weekend at when people are seeing it and literally the day the thursday night after we got done watching it i seen people on the timeline having conversations about this scene in particular about what was going on technically behind the camera and, and the things that uh, that were happening man uh and that just that just speaks to again the artistic expression in the movie right the the choices and the lenses and the the practical anything that they had to do in this film um it it, it, it was really something else in that moment man uh made the goddamn theater shake when the when he revs the engine oh my goodness um and it was inspired by christine which is what makes it so tight man you're like okay not only is it is the Batman in there or is this car like that scary? Like, is this the car is alive? Yeah, you're like, the car's alive. The car is alive. The car's just alive by itself. And now, in what used to be a tool in the Batmobile, has become a character. Like, just like that, you know? In, 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 you know, that now I feel like, I don't know, in future iterations of the movie, because, because this is year two, he probably hasn't used this thing a lot. If not, that no. might have. That's probably like his third time driving that hoe in the city. You know what I mean? And so I just feel like people by the next film are gonna be like, "Oh shit, they gonna know what it is <laughs> the next time they hear it when that <laughs> when that engine revs. They gonna know what's going on, man." But it's such a well directed scene. So well directed. The the stunt coordinator. Those three put together: the stunt coordinator, director, and and and, and uh, cinematographer. Cinematographer. Yeah. Oh my god! Just give them all the award right now. Like at next year's Academy Awards, they should just show the clip. <laughs> like, like, y- like y'all gonna have to spin this real quick, just so everybody right. can see this. Like, just in case you're in the crowd and haven't seen the Batman, 
here's the clip of one of the coldest car chase scenes ever because technically it really is astounding um and and you know i i really wish people felt what we felt a little bit more when watching that moment because i i just need people to understand you've never seen anything like we were watching right there and and hearing interviews about matt reeves and how what all went into that and hearing about uh uh how there's certain parts in it that had to be one take like you had like the 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 take of of colin farrell doing the i got you i got that was the first goddamn take they did that you know how like beasting of a moat I can talk about it all day. That's how amazing it was. But just know, y'all, that was some filmmaking shit in there. Skip Batman. Skip whatever we're talking about. That's filmmaking. That's how. That's movie greatness <laughs> in that moment. Um, and and and, and, it, and Batman just happens to be a part of it. That's how I felt in that moment. I was like, wow, this is some good movie making. So yeah, man, I, it it was great. It's cinema. That it's you cinema. Know, we, we'll, we'll just go back to that. It's cinema. I, 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 I was my jaw was on the floor. That whole sequence with the start of the reveal all the way through. It's just so many inspired choices. Hard mounting the camera on the cars. You yes. know, we're looking at the perspective of Penguin like as if it was in the rearview mirror. The rain, the again, just like the fire, all of that stuff. I mean, they, he very much wanted to do a car chase in the style of the French Connection. You know, people talk about French Connection as mm-hmm. having like one of the most visceral raw car chases ever. I mean, they just took it to the next level with this one. I think that this is this is possibly going to go down in history as one of the better car chases we've ever seen. Like you said, forget superhero movies. This is on another level just because there's not these crazy tricks. There's not this overabundance and over-reliance of CGI. It's not all this fucking gaga. It's just like, it's the nitty gritty. It's one guy mm-hmm. chasing another, period. That's it. We're just going to see what happens when these two go at it. And then the final moment when Batman uses the fucking rocket to jump across the 18-wheeler through the fire. It's like, what? <laughs> what is this? This guy's like a fucking slasher horror killer like that coming after scary, this dude. It, it's scary. It's frightening. But it was just it's so well done. And I mean. The fact that Colin Farrell as Penguin got to be mm-hmm. a part of that moment, boy, it'll it'll live on. We'll go back and like when I get that 4K, I'm I'm hey. rewatching that so many times. Like yeah. we're just gonna hit rewind so many times over and over because um, it was it was that well done. Um, let's talk about John Turturro, the great John Turturro's Carmine Falcone. Yeah, um, sort of an unexpected addition here. I think coming into this movie, maybe like people who really did like some research on the production of it knew that John Turturro was gonna be in it. But I've listened to a lot of like podcasters interviewers they were like oh i didn't even know he was in this movie um i did know he was in the movie but it's interesting that he's coming into this role like john Turturro's tremendous actor legend has been yes. in so many great films um coming in playing this 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 mob boss this gangster you know probably the most famous one in in all of batman mythology carmine falcone really mm-hmm. the number one guy but he's also the centerpiece of the mystery that they're trying to unfold and we ultimately find out that not only is he the rat, he's the guy that, you know, basically ratted out the whole Sal Maroney operation in order to get to the top. And he was working directly with the GCPD, with political officials to, to make this happen. But he was able to still maintain all of his power and still be the guy. And you get that that one guy towards the end who says, like, he's been the mayor for the past 20 years. This, like, election, this election is irrelevant. This guy is the guy. In addition to that, he is Selena Kyle's father. And he's been murdering these women by strangling. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's so many layers. And then we find out, like, not that Sal Maroney was responsible for the death of Thomas and Martha Wayne, but that mm-hmm. Carmine Falcone was 
in all likelihood probably the one responsible. They mm-hmm. don't directly confirm it, but I think that they imply it that, right. you know, Thomas had told Carmine before, you know, he was killed. He told him, like, I'm gonna I'm just gonna reveal everything. I'm just gonna come out clean with everything and we're gonna we're gonna get this all out on the table. And that very same night, the Waynes were dead, right? And so I think it's heavily implied that he was mm-hmm. responsible for their death, which there's there's precedent there. You know, that's not like a new thing that's been brought up before in the comics that Carmine Falcone is the party responsible. But John Turturro I just loved how reserved he was. You know, oh, he didn't yeah. do anything over the top. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't. He was the opposite of Penguin, right? Like, right. He's very much like the guy in the shadows, the mm-hmm. the mob boss that nobody knows. You never see him. He never comes out. People don't even know his name. He lays low, but he runs everything in Gotham. He pulls all the strings. But that reserved nature that he played. Um, you know, John Turturro, even in his past, he's been known to play like really crazy weird over the top roles but this just like this reservation that he has this command mm-hmm. that he has and the presence on screen was just it was it was great stuff because it, it reminded me of what a probably a mob boss would act like in that position of power so i loved what he brought here exactly man i love when he 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 runs into bruce at the the memorial and he's like oh yes the one person that's a recluse even more than i am and you know, it, it, it really does reinforce what you just said of this dude. If you are a mob boss, a lot of people not going to know who you are when you pull up. But when you do pull up, you're going to pull up in this fancy car with a girl <laughs> on your arm. You know what I mean? And you're not, but you, you're like, you're, you're making statements in the way you move, not the way you speak all the time. And that was really him. He was really making statements in the way he moved and the way he acted. Um, and it, it really was his subtleness that made him so scary, I think, um, in, in terms of, of the things he did. Even when he runs into Catwoman, uh, uh, Selena in the bar um, or in the, in the, uh, the nightclub downstairs, it was like, it was like she was running into this figure, yeah. you know, and and he was like kind of hovering over her. He was like, oh, I haven't seen you down here in a while. But like, it's not a lot of lines, but it's still like, damn, who who is this dude? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you uh, I don't, I don't like you. You know, you got some 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 stuff not so right with you, but you could tell he had power. Um, we just didn't know exactly where it resided yet, but you felt it throughout the film and, 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 and again in the way that he carried himself. So I thought he did another tremendous job. It's funny because like. I don't I this this is like one of the castings I just don't know where they got it from like I would have never thought about John Turturro in this role like that's just not the top of mind when thinking about you know a Falcone but I'm glad they did it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I was like damn this is I like this uh again because it's, it is something different it is he is a, a a really good actor too so I thought it was dope and he's like it's also cool because he's older <laughs> you yeah. know it's like easy to be scared of a mob boss dude that's like in his 60s or 50s or whatever he's supposed to be in this movie um specifically you're like yeah i'm not messing with that dude and so man just great choices all around yeah it, it reinforces you know that matt reeves as you said at the top of the show he's such a fan of film you know mm-hmm. and i think john Turturro, though he has played like weird eccentric roles occasionally he's not necessarily been the guy in charge he's kind of like the guy that gets slapped around earlier in his career when he mm-hmm. was younger but he's been in a lot of like you know more like mob gangster movies whether it's like miller's crossing or mm-hmm. you know um barton fink stuff like that you know i, I, I think that it, it's it's inspired casting because He's been second fiddle a lot, but now he's assuming the power because he is older. He's much cooler and steely and just like, you don't want to mess with this guy. You don't want to cross him at all. Um, by the way, can we get a 44 below HBO Max spinoff series? I'll take that too. Let's hey. do 44 below. Um, hey. Like I said, I'm taking I'm taking whatever they give me. We can make a spinoff series. <laughs> Annika? Where, where's Annika? Let's let's get like a prequel for Annika and like let's see her and Catwoman together. I'll take whatever all they give it. me because it's, it's, it's all good stuff. 
Um, another actor that I don't I don't think a lot of people knew was going to be in this movie, but another really talented guy, Peter Sarsgaard, you know, yeah. is in this film. Um, he shows up. He is the DA Gil Colson. We do see him, in fact, in the 44 below. He's being investigated by Catwoman and Batman. Um, they're trying to get information out of him. But he has that really that really pivotal scene um, towards the middle of the movie again at the funeral home, which we saw that clip a while ago. But we mm-hmm. see the extended full blown yeah. thing here. And it's it's even more tense, you know, mm-hmm. than what I imagine. Um, Riddler captures him, you know, kidnaps him and ties him to the to the vehicle, puts a bomb around his neck and makes him makes him carry forth with his plans. And so you see him drive straight through this funeral home without regard for anybody. You know, who knows that somebody could have got hit by that car on the way in. He has the bomb around his neck and Riddler is, you know, basically using him as a pawn to get this message across and to see if whether or not he's going to reveal that the Carmine's the rat. And at that moment, you know, I didn't know that Carmine Falcone was the rat, but the fact that you saw the fear in Gil Coulson that he would mm-hmm. rather explode <laughs> than be a rat and give Woo. up the information says a lot, right? That yeah. says a lot in, in terms of like the power that Carmine wields throughout Gotham. He's like, I'm a, I'm a dead man either way. At least this way, my family, my children, my wife, they can be protected because mm-hmm. I won't give up this information. I'd rather die this way than than go out the other way. Um, in the little that he's in the movie, it's not a lot. I just thought that he, he helped raise the stakes to the appropriate level that they needed to be. Yeah, man. It, like, phew. Wow. Um, that moment, those last 20 seconds before that bomb blew up was, wow. He was just, I think he was just, he was in his element with acting right there. Because you could tell he both didn't want to die, but he also didn't want to put his family in jeopardy. It's just something so scary, I think, about that situation that he was able to show us, you know, in, in, in his performance um, at that time. And uh, also, like you said, I, part of me, part of me loves or a part of me has this idea that even Falcone is not even who he was afraid of. Like he's afraid of somebody outside Falcone. Like, oh. yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I thought about that. Cause it was never really like explicit, like in, in which, why he was so afraid. Um, Cause even Falcone being as powerful as he is, I'm like, bro, that's Batman. Like, just go with him. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just get out the thing, go to the police and go, you know, just go with Batman or, you know, do something like that. But part of me is like, no, nah, it's deeper than that um, in the back of my mind. So it may not be true, but I, I, I thought that uh, after seeing it for sure. But, yeah, I thought he did a good job. Um, he also did a good job of getting kidnapped, I guess. I don't know if that's <laughs> a good thing to say. <laughs> well, you bought into it for sure. You, you yeah. buy into, like, the fear that he has to communicate. Like, he's he's truly afraid, you know, for oh, his yeah. life in that moment, which anybody would be, of course. But I think... You know, Peter Sars, like as an actor, you know, he, he's a he's a really great actor, but he has to communicate a, a big level of fear, even though he's in this position of power. He's the mm-hmm. DA, right? Like you, he's DA. supposed to be wow. he's supposed to be the guy in the city. Right. But now he is at his weakest and most vulnerable moment because of, you know, what the Riddler's trying to do here. So yeah. I agree. Another wild moment just in this entire movie, bro. Like when the bomb blew up, I think the whole that after seeing it multiple times and seeing different crowd reactions, that's yeah. like the most oh my god what is this movie moment still like after every time the bomb blows up everyone's like what is this movie because yeah. we're not used to that i think like we kind of seen 
Rachel kind of get blown up, but it was like all more off screen, you know. It wasn't. It was like, but here, this dude was like right there. We see black man get blown back. Like it's just a a really crazy moment we've never seen in in, in any Batman film, and it it really is. He he's really killing it. Um, you know, even as they go through the riddles together, Batman's like justice. What justice is the answer? <laughs> he's like bribe, uh, uh, bribe. He's like no idiot. Bribe's not the answer. How much is the bribe? It's pretty much what Batman wants to say. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. you, you know, it's 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 just all he he did what he had to do. You know, in those moments. So I I, I thought it was a, just another good choice that I wouldn't have thought of. But here we are, man, in in, in just crazy casting. Yeah, I also I love this is a smaller thing, but as as I'm just like waxing rhapsodic about this movie, I just love the fact that there were a ton of extras in that scene. Like they had a bunch of real people. You know what I'm saying? Like they went to a real location Mm -hmm. and they had a ton of extras. And I think that again, that just helps communicate the real sense of danger that these people are in in that moment. And listen, you know, I'm not here to shit on any other franchise or any other movie, but I think we've become so accustomed to movies being filmed on big green screens or blue screens or whatever. And we, we, we often tend to lose that human element. And Mm -hmm. I was just, I was taken aback watching it on that huge screen. Like, damn, there's a lot of people on this set right now. There's a a massive amount of like humanity and to be able to coordinate that whole scene again, just going back to the, the technical aspects of this film, it just makes it feel all that more real and all that more tangible because Mm -hmm. that, that sense of danger is, is just so well done and so excellently communicated. And like you mentioned, when that bomb explodes, knew it was coming, but still shocked and surprised. Like, damn. Like, <laughs> I think that that's when it kicks into another gear. The whole movie kicks into another mm-hmm. gear. Because, yes, Riddler had killed people before. He killed the the mayor and he killed the police commissioner. But we didn't even see the co- police commissioner die here. Yeah. Like, we're, we're witnessing Everybody. this go off. Yeah, every, like, getting picked off one by one. And he just blew a motherfucker up, like, right mm-hmm. in front of everybody. That's... That's bold as hell. So I just, you know, that that really took it to an, to another level. Um, and another big character, the last big big character that we have to talk about, of course, is Andy Serkis as Alfred Pennyworth. Yeah. And so Andy Serkis and Matt Reeves have, of course, worked together before. Um, he famously played Caesar in those Planet of the Apes movies in Dawn for the Planet. Of, well, in all three, actually, he played Caesar in all in the in the entire trilogy. But of course, the two that Matt Reeves directed, he's coming in as Alfred. This is another character like many of the people in this movie that mm-hmm. have many interpretations before him, and so it's like, well, what is he going to do different? How is he going to make Alfred his own? And somehow they were man- they managed to be able to do so. I mm-hmm. think that this version of Alfred. Though he wasn't in the movie that much, we didn't get too much of Andy Serkis here. That's a very intentional choice, I think, Mm -hmm. um, that makes a lot of sense because this version of Batman slash Bruce Wayne is still somewhat resentful towards Alfred. He Mm -hmm. hasn't fully accepted him into this world. Like, yes, Alfred knows he's Batman. He knows that he's out at night fighting crime and he's helping him. But he's not fully embracing Alfred as we've seen in past iterations. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, you know, we talked a lot about Mal- Michael Caine last week. You know, he did tremendous work. I even really like Jeremy Irons and Ben Affleck's dynamic. I thought that that was like mm. they were true partners, you know, in terms of their relationship. But here Alfred is like trying to get some sense into Bruce's head. Like, OK, you know, you're doing this, but you still need to be Bruce Wayne. He's the guy that's mm-hmm. really communicating the idea that you don't have balance in your life. Yeah. Like go take a shower, bro. You've been out all night, get some sleep. Like he's the one, he's the, you know, the person in the movie that's actually like telling us that stuff that I think we've been able to communicate here. Um, which I thought, I thought made sense. You need somebody to Mm -hmm. try to reel Bruce in, even though he might not listen. Um, but that often brought out some resentful 
comments towards Alfred. You know, he he challenged him a lot. Like, you're not my father. Why are you telling me this? Like, you're not a Wayne. What are you doing? Real disrespectful shit, you know, and I think it's kind of uncomfortable for us to see that because we mm-hmm. are so used to seeing Alfred and Bruce just like be partners and be, yeah. you know, working together. But in this movie, Gordon is his partner, right? Yeah, like exactly. Gordon is the guy that he's gravitating towards because he's Batman. The Bruce Wayne shit has not been worked out yet. Mm-hmm. So I think it made sense that Alfred was sort of like pushed to the sideline until that big moment where we thought, you know, he had died. He had, you know, almost suffered at the hand of that bomb that the Riddler has sent to Wayne Tower. Yeah, this is one of the few iterations where it doesn't feel like Alfred is the father figure, you know, because that, that is what we get, you know, a lot of times out of, out of our Alfreds and they make a very explicit decision to give us dialogue where he's like, you're not my father. <laughs> he's right. like, yes, I know. You know, that, that's like the biggest change I think I've ever seen out of this character. Um, and one of the things I like about that though, is usually Alfred is the good stream of consciousness within Batman. Uh, And here it's like Alfred also doesn't have it all the way together because he also hasn't forgiven himself about a lot of the things uh, that has happened to the Waynes, right? He was like, I'm supposed to protect them. You were only a child when it happened. Like you just, you can still tell he has a chip on his shoulder too, a little bit. Um, And neither one of them have really talked that out. Until recently, you know, until this movie right. happened about what was really going on um, in, in their lives. And so it, it that there is a disconnect between the two right now. You said it like there's not a lot of Bruce. And that's where technically Alfred operates. Alfred's not Robin. Like he's not right. about to be out here fighting crime with old boy. And but we're, we're so used to that, that relationship already being established um, that now it. it, it right now he does just feel like a butler but like a step above it you know he's like you're the family butler not my dad and in in but by the end of the film you do get a sense of okay maybe they are moving towards a friendship maybe sometime later down the line maybe there will be he will morph into that fatherhood role but it's not he's not there Alfred has developing to do too and I, I like that because we don't get a lot of that usually Alfred is like sick or he has this vision of what he wants Batman to be, or this. And Alfred is like, Negro, you need to come home and do business as Bruce Wayne. Because <laughs> I'm not Bruce Wayne. <laughs> My last name isn't Bruce Wayne. He said, he's like, nigga, take these cufflinks. Like, you can't go out into town with no cuff. He was about to walk out the house with no cufflinks. I feel like a dad in that moment. I'm like, what are you doing, bro? Like, <laughs> the accounts are on the way for this meeting. Like, you don't want to meet them, so they got to come here. He's uh, just like, what's going on? Everything's what's crumbling. Going on? Yeah, he's all over the place, man. Um, but I, that that's the new take, and I love that about it. I love that Alfred, in a lot of ways, hasn't forgiven himself either about the Waynes because he is more of a protector in this in in this series you know he uh kind of like how jeffrey made a change in the new bel-air he's the like the house manager now that's how yeah. alfred feels like here now he's like the house manager he feels like the muscle he or he was at some point in time right this feels like a more militaristic he's like no nah, bro I'm, i used to do ciphers <laughs> in in i taught you how to fight bro like i'm i'm a different alfred i'm not the alfred you think i am uh, so yeah, I, I, I like this new take on him and I can't wait to see how he grows too. Just as the bat, just how I'll, he has to grow as Bruce Wayne. Like they'll, I think they'll grow together and I think we'll see some, some dope, uh, uh, new chemistry to come in, in future movies. Alfred spinoff series, HBO max. Let's go. Um, Let's hey, go. Pennyworth already exists. You might as well do it uh, with Andy Serkis. 
They already got that right, yeah. But no, yeah, let's get Andy in there. Let's do that. Let's do something different. Um, I'll take it. I'll take whatever they give me. But uh, yeah, I think I think I think Andy Serkis was 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 tremendous in the in the in the you know the small amount of time that mm-hmm. he had in this movie. But everything he did worked so well, and the fact that he is like even even in the midst of being sort of disrespected by Bruce at several turns, he's still helping him out. He's like, all right, well, whatever. You know, yeah, he's doing he's what still he's doing. Him. I still loves him, and he's still yeah. gonna help him figure out this crime. And he's doing the ciphers and stuff. Uh, did you actually think he was like dead in that moment when we saw the bomb go off? Like Woo! for a second, did you thought he might have? They might have yeah. gotten rid of him. I thought it was a possibility because so much had already been changed by then, and Matt, the, the, just this interpretation of Batman, I was like, he could be dead. I yeah, really yeah. did. I was like, well, it could go either way. <laughs> you just it don't could. know. Yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised. Like Matt Reeves is not afraid to kill off characters if you've mm-hmm. seen any of his movies. So yeah, I, I could have it could have went that way. I, I would have been very very sad if that happened because I want to see more out of out of those two. But it was the moment. It was really the moment that uh that that Bruce needed, you know, to see that yes, he does what he does to protect his family, but they were still vulnerable mm-hmm. um throughout that entire thing. And so uh, I think it was just all like beautifully communicated. And that scene where Alfred gets to really tell him how his father was and the type mm-hmm. of man that his father was, he needed that. Like he. Yeah. Absolutely absolutely needed that because right before then he went to the the club you know the, the iceberg lounge to talk to carmine and carmine kind of twisted the story around he he yeah. didn't he didn't lie per se but he bended the truth a little bit he oh, kind yeah. of you know lied with omission um and alfred really gave him the real and he needed that in that moment to be able to you know see 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 the whole the whole mission come to fruition and you know f- follow through with everything um let's talk about a few just like supporting characters quickly um we've talked about the mayor mayor elected this movie bella real played by jamie lawson she was a you know a prominent mm-hmm, figure mm-hmm. that we saw several times throughout the movie um there was also um the two twins that were working you yes. know on behalf of the penguin that was like a funny <laughs> a funny reoccurring joke one would go to the door and the other one like would shut the door and then go get his <laughs> twin and they would come back uh that was a funny thing um and, and a few other people we're gonna save the the barry keown conversation for a second here but yeah. any thoughts on just like any other supporting character that we haven't really touched on uh, up until this point no but I, I did i did love every sequence with the twins i love how it happened three separate times I love the first time do you know who i am yeah and then he shuts the door on him. He's the biggest Batman. <laughs> and then the second time, he starts up as Bruce Wayne. Do you know who I am? Yeah, I do. And they actually let him in. The third time, he just sneaks in. He's like, fuck y'all niggas. I'm not doing this no more. I'm just going <laughs> to do what I got to do. I love that. Um, who else, man? Uh, actually, I, I like Martinez as a cop. I really liked him. I, I thought really he liked was him great in the few yeah. lines that he had. Uh, because he did. He always, I think... I don't know. I just love how he always expressed himself as a character. You know, he was like, oh, Mr. Wayne. Like, he was excited to see Bruce Wayne because he is a celebrity. Like, a lot Mm -hmm. of... And people were, like, shining cameras and stuff on him, but he's, like, the only police officer I feel like that was like, it's Bruce Wayne. Like, this dude's a freaking celebrity. What's up, Bruce Wayne? Even though he didn't really acknowledge him. I thought that was important. And then he was the one that was like, it's a Tucker, right? Like, that's an important moment, like, for him to dig up the carpet. And I was like, man, this dude... He was actually somewhat important. So that was another character. I was like, man, good job, good casting. Yeah, he just looked like a, a old school Hispanic cop. And I was like, hey, this is I like this dude. Yeah, going back to that idea earlier that, you know, Batman is smart. He can figure out a lot of things on his own, but he's still having help in these small pockets. Mm-hmm. 
but that help doesn't undermine the fact that Batman is still kind of like the smartest person in the room, typically, right? right? Like, I think, I think again, that's a, a tricky thing to pull off. Like, just something casual that he says, "Oh, it's a Tucker." Like, my uncle does that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, he wasn't trying to undermine Batman. He's just like telling what he knew, and then uh, that yeah, ultimately what helped him, you know, find that information. <laughs> so that was that was really cool stuff here. Um, let's you know wrap things up here. Let's talk about. The ending of the movie, where we're left off with everything, the yeah. future, what this all may mean as, as we move forward with the Batman franchise, we'll, you know, sort of do our ranking and then just like final thoughts here. So we're in the final stretch here. Um, there is a scene towards the end of this movie, not a post credit scene. It's just a scene at the end of the movie um, where we see the Riddler as an inmate in Arkham and we get a shadowy, mysterious figure in the cell next to him. Um, ultimately, we do get a sense of his look and how he how he how he appears on camera mm-hmm. um this character's played by barry keown and it's been revealed that that is indeed the joker a version of the joker mm-hmm. that exists within this world and he's talking to riddler and he gives him a riddle you know what what's what's what becomes more valuable with the less that you have of them a friend and they both laugh and exchange that moment um matt reeves has talked about including that scene there was another scene that they that they filmed but they Mm -hmm. ultimately cut out i think it was an interrogation scene between batman and the joker uh as batman was trying to figure out who the riddler was um but ultimately they cut that out and left this in here um what'd you make of that scene because it uh possibly points to the future we don't really know yet but they've already casted a joker in this universe what do you what do you make of that and where this all may go it's interesting. The first time it happened, and you see his face messed up. I was like, "Oh, Two Face is already Two Face. Is that what we're doing here?" Because uh, just just the way it looked, and then he says "clown," and he starts laughing, and you're like, "Oh, okay, okay, it is the Joker." Um, so one, I, we've never seen I think a disfigured Joker the way this dude is about to look. I think that's interesting already. Um, but I, I think this is a good actor. You know, I think Barry. I still know how to say his last name. Is it Keo? I think the I so I think it's pronounced differently depending mm-hmm. on like the Irish pronunciation is Keown, but I think in English like some people say Keegan, some people say Kogan. Wow, I'm I'm sorry to the I'm sorry to that man. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna roll with Keown because that's the Irish pronunciation. Uh, we'll go so, with Keown. So yeah, yeah, Barry Keown, man. He he's been around. Um, again, we just seen him in Eternals. He's been in crazy weird. Uh, movies like Killing of the Sacred Deer, which if you haven't seen that movie, go watch it. It is yeah wild, and that will tell you what you need to know. Yeah, about him. and part of me thinks that's the reason he even got Joker is because of that movie. Like that movie is like, yeah, bro, you could be the Joker <laughs> for sure because he, he's he's pretty wild. Um, but you know, I'm I'm always excited on any take of the Joker. To be honest, you know, you, you know, uh, at this point. It's scary to do. It's you have to, just as doing a Batman movie is scary, but we still got a good Batman movie, you know. Just as and I think just as scary as it is to be the Joker, I think we can still get a good Joker. It's definitely possible. It's in Matt Reeves' hands. It's in a good actor's hands like Barry Keogh. Um, and I'm excited to see where he goes with it. You know, Matt Reeves even said Joker might not even be in the next movie. We don't know where he'll show up, but it was more important, you know, for them to show that the Rogues Gallery. It's kind of growing of the Batman, you know, and I, and and the Joker had he just needs to be at least some kind of presence somewhere in this universe. So even if we don't see him in the next movie, I'm not gonna be mad. Take your time, you know, put him wherever you need to put him. Give us a subtle, I don't know, you know, nod that Joker in this in the second movie or in the Gotham PD TV show, Joker did something across town. You and you, you know, we don't even gotta see him. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But I think. In everything that we've seen in this film, and in everything that we've seen in in Mr. Barry Keogh, that 
it's it's all possible <laughs> you know and, and and i think whatever happens it'll still be good um i'm still very hopeful in that and i'm not gonna shy away from that so it is what it is i i do hope we see it sooner than later i don't want them to wait too too long um because again they did have a constant decision to make him part of that and throw him in there so yeah man um i, I thought it was a, a dope little nod and i'm actually happy he wasn't he did take that that scene out trying to figure out who the Riddler was because mm-hmm. I, I would have never wanted to take away from Paul Dano's shine, which I think he gets here because of the exclusion of a lot of other uh, 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 um, villains. Cause there was Penguin and Falcone and Cap, you know, there was already a lot going on and for them to include Joker would have been like, damn, there's a lot going on. So uh, I think we're fine. I think Matt Reeves made a good decision to, to include him as much as he did. Um, or so little, I should just say, I should say, as he did. You know, I have so few issues with this movie, just really, really small things. But mm-hmm. overall, this is such a, you know, amazing film to me that we'll, you know, we'll talk more about in our wrap up. This is the one thing that kind of somewhat felt a little bit out of place mm-hmm. for me when I first saw it. Like, we don't get a true pro- post credit scene in the film. I think if this did appear as a post credit scene, it wouldn't have felt as jarring. But this mm-hmm. is the one thing that just kind of felt a little just like it's a little random here. You know, it, it almost seemed primed and ready to be a post credit scene to just add as a stinger at the end. Um, but he included it at the sort of the epilogue of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um that being said, I like the casting. I think Barry Keown is a very, very talented actor who's really on the up and up right now. As you mentioned, the stuff with Eternals, Killing of a Sacred Deer. He was also in Green Knight, did a did a nice was. job there. Um, a really, really interesting actor, has a great face. You right. I, I love the way he just I just love like the way he looks. He's a he's a handsome young man and he just he has a unique look to himself. And I think that he'll be able to bring like a new visual identity to the mm-hmm. Joker whenever they decide to explore that, if they ever decide to explore that. In terms of moving forward, I really hope he's not the main villain in the second one because mm-hmm. that's gonna that's gonna feel too similar to the Nolan yeah, exactly chronological chronological sort of order of things mm-hmm. where we had like a first villain and then Joker was in the sequel. I'm hoping that the seeds planted here and then we just circle back to him like maybe in the final movie if, exactly. they, if this is a trilogy right like mm-hmm. if they do a trilogy and to go even beyond that, I'd love. To make it even more different, I'd love if they did a Riddler Joker team up movie. That's what I like, thought. Yeah. Do that. That mm-hmm. would be because you know we've gotten Joker versus Batman a million times, mm-hmm. but we haven't seen as much of like Joker and Riddler, like these two psychological villains come together, these two mm-hmm. forces of nature to take out Batman. I mean, that would be Agreed. and and you you are you already you you've established Riddler, so you don't have to spend as much time developing that character. Mm-hmm. You can focus more on Joker, but Riddler's still there. I would love to see something like that, right? Uh, yeah. While while exploring a different villain that we haven't really seen before in the second film, and then mm-hmm. building up to maybe a possible team up with those two in the third movie. Um, but I you know I think it's cool that this does happen, that this scene did happen because with the inclusion of Joker. Matt Reeves was he was cleverly able to include all of the villains from the Batman 1966 TV series in this movie mm-hmm. with having Catwoman, Penguin, Riddler and Joker. Those were always the four main villains in yeah. the Batman Adam West Burt Ward TV series and he was able to make that happen here and I didn't expect that. But um it was it was a piece of information that was leaked a long time ago on the internet like if his you, brother leaked it yeah well yeah that's <laughs> that didn't help things at all because yeah his brother did come out and basically he was confirm it. like yeah he's he's joker um 
you know, so it was a, it was a bit of a shame that it wasn't like a surprise. Like mm-hmm. if us, you know, we 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 follow this stuff. I'm sure for most people it was a surprise for us. Like we we kind of knew that this was coming. So that was kind of a bummer, but ultimately I think that um it points to it points to good things in the future hopefully. Um the double-edged sword side of it is that mm-hmm. I think as opposed to what they did in Batman Begins where they just showed a Joker card where we kind of left things up to our imagination what that was going to look like. Now people have a very specific opinion about Barry Keown because they've already seen a laugh or mm-hmm. they've heard a laugh. They've seen a little bit of the facial prosthetics. It's not much. It's very obscure. But yeah, for the next however long it takes him to be in the movie, people are going to have their judgments about him. Um, it might not be that pervasive. It might not mm-hmm. really be a big deal. I might be overthinking it, but that's the one thing where I'm like, I don't know if I would have done that. It mm-hmm. might have been better to leave it up to the imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, but small shit, real real nitpick energy right there. Um, let's talk about like the, the, the HBO Max spinoff series and what they might do with future movies. So we do know that they are developing a show focused on the penguin for HBO max starring mm-hmm. Colin Farrell. Um, he's also going to be a producer for that show. They've said that it's going to borrow from Scarface and have a Scarface like influence. And I think really going to tell the story of his ascension to power at this point. So it won't be a prequel to the movie. It'll actually be him now with Carmine Falcone out of the picture, mm-hmm. him basically taking control of like Gotham's underworld and sort of like filling in that void. And then the other show has been a little bit more in limbo. We initially thought it was going to be a GCPD show mm-hmm. um, that was going to have Gordon as a main character, but Matt Reeves has since gone on a podcast. I think he was on the Happy Sad Confused podcast and confirmed that that show's actually sort of been shelled because of creative differences. They did a pitch. Um, initially, Terrence Winter, you know, who created Boardwalk Empire, was a writer on The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Initially, he was going to be sort of the showrunner. He departed the project. They got somebody new. But I don't think the pitch went all that well with HBO um, or HBO Max. And so they decided to shell that show. And now instead, they're going to do something that's more focused on Arkham and Mm -hmm. exploring that world and and diving into that. Um, And and they're looking to kind of make it a horror show, horror show. Um, I don't know if there's going to be specific villains that they'll pull from from Batman's canon. I'm sure they probably have to or who's going to be the focal point. But it seems like that that idea has sort of evolved into more of an Arkham show. Um, what do you think about those ideas where these things can go? And then also just like the film franchise in and of, of itself is like the centerpiece of it all. Like, what do you see all this, you know, really turning turning into? Because it, it appears as if they're really expanding their own Batverse, their Batman universe is like this mm-hmm. separate thing that, that exists outside of the DCEU as a whole. The Reevesverse, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, uh, it's really up to, you know, any of, of the, you know, creators on, on what they want to do, but I'm ready for all of it, <laughs> any and all of it. Cause I think it's a good idea because even, uh, uh, I think, this is this exists, I think, in the same vein that some of those early, I think, just Arrowverse properties lived in. You know, mm-hmm. like Arrow season one, season two, even uh, uh, Gotham. We 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 talked about the actual TV show Gotham. E- even where like Batwoman operates now, I think some of that is okay. Let's take that, you give it its own universe, and then HBO it with Matt Reeves. And I think it's like, damn. Those are all good things to add to it. That would make it even, you know, even better than what it is right now. You add Matt Reeves, it gets more, more film e takes on it, right? It's already on HBO. You know, the budget's going to be decent because this movie's already doing great. You already know that. You already have your actors, most of them set in stone. You already have a Colin Farrell and the Penguin. 
if if Gotham PD does turn into more of an Arkhamist show, well, is is Jeffrey Wright still in it? You know, like if is he still a part of these conversations? Is he still in the show? I think there's so many ideas on the table, and we've seen this movie be fleshed out so well. It's impossible for me to be like no to anything. We were we were just talking about it earlier. Hell yeah, give me a freaking Batmobile spinoff. Give me a freaking Catwoman. I don't know. Give me all kind of stuff. But be, once you see somebody do something right, you just want to. It's like all right, now give me the universe because that's that's how it works, right? Like that. That's literally how all the all this continues to happen. Give me an Iron Man. Oh, that shit did good. Now give me a universe. Give me. Arrow, the TV show, season one was fire. Give me a universe. Like, it just keeps happening over and over. And, and I think we're, we just live in a moment where it's like, whoop, give me a good the Batman. We've done it. It's time for a universe. And so I think all these shows, a Penguin show, Arkham show, Catwoman show, I'm just so confident a Catwoman show is going to happen. Uh, but I, I think all these, all these things are really shaping up, you know, to be its own thing. I think it is in some ways going to feel like an MCU that we have now where Loki exists in between and you know, where, where Gotham exists in between, you know, or uh penguin exists in between the movie where, uh, uh, WandaVision is going to tie into multiverse of madness. Makes sense to me. I feel like penguins going to tie into Batman too, whatever they decide to name the film, you know, like it, it, it all just makes sense. And so I'm just ready for it all to happen. I see it happening. Um, the only thing that's weird here, man, is the existing state of DC as a whole, because now people are going to be confused. They're going to see Batgirl on, on HBO Max and be like, damn, is that in the same universe as the Batman? You know, that that's the only thing that's like, man, what's going to happen there? But outside of all that, uh, I think we we're we're uh, we should be prepared for some more good Gotham Batman verse content. Drophead spinoff? I'm here for it. Let's do it. Dropheads. Oh my drop god. Drophead spinoff. <laughs> oh my god. I'm telling y'all, I'll take anything that they give to me after seeing this movie. I'm taking any spinoff series, any idea that they have. I want to see it. There, there cannot be enough of this. Like I am a fan, a tremendous fan of this movie. So I want to live in this world for as long as they want to give it to me. I, I'm, I'm really here for it. The two ideas already on the table: Penguin, Arkham all the way bought in already especially after seeing penguin in the show arkham you can take that in so many different directions i mean that can be that can be so many different things it can be a horror show it can be a psychological drama or a thriller hell they could do like an anthology show where if they wanted to examine a different arkham inmate every episode they could do mm-hmm. that which is something we've never seen before mm-hmm. hbo max presents you with all of these opportunities and this is very much going to be like the mcu which it should be leverage yeah. the fuck out of that streaming service make as it. much as you can mm-hmm. and expand this world out in terms of the confusion and how it coexists with the dceu if people don't get it fuck them i don't care research <laughs> figure it out do what you need to do to understand what's going on here i think yeah. people people can make that can make those decisions on their own if they, if they want to buy into it or not um we can have all these good things happening at once i'm glad the wb is deciding to just make good projects like yes whether or focus. not it connects to the larger narrative mm-hmm. fine we can have that and those can be great and we can have these solo standoff projects too that can also be great joker love that movie Mm -hmm. this movie love it like i love the fact that they're not they're not confined to the idea of a universe we can get very different takes and styles and tones and they can they can color outside of the lines like this movie damn near could have been rated r hell in england i think the rating that they gave it is technically like an r rating or Mm -hmm. something like that like it can go there 
and, to, and it can push the limits of what you know DC comics and superheroes have been because typically we don't always see that. And so I'm just loving all yeah. of this different style and flavor. And then in terms of the movies, man, I hope Reeves gets an entire trilogy. I'm pretty sure he will. Yes, he seems very much adamant to stay on board and continue to do this. Like he does not. He's not playing coy about it at all. He would love to make more. I want him to make more. Um, I think that he can only go up from here. He mm-hmm. set a high bar for himself with this movie, but he I think did. he can still only go up from here. Mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson coming back. I'd love to just see further exploration with his character, of course, and to see him really go deeper and find that Bruce Wayne and bring yep. him to life while also still elevating Batman as well. And then, of course, mo- more more villains, more rogues gallery stuff. Yes. The potential is limitless. You know, We've talked about who we would like to see. I mean, you have so many things on the table matt reese's tease mr freeze that's what i want or something i need both of them in the same movie joker's been you know teased here riddler is still a thing uh hell i don't bring in calendar man i don't care like (laughs) just whatever you do you got me you you have me you i mean you already had me because i'm biased anyway batman's Mm -hmm. my guy but you definitely got me now after this movie so uh, I think the future's bright. I think it's the brightest it's ever been for the character, to be to be quite honest, because we haven't had the possibilities in terms mm-hmm. of really expanding the world out as we do now. Um, where does it rank for you amongst your Batman films at this point? I know it's still early. Yeah. We've both seen it multiple times, but at, at this point in time here, where do you rank it amongst Batman films live action? And you, I mean, if you want to even go further, if you want to take it to, to, to DCU films, mm. DC films, superhero films, like where is this movie falling in the spectrum for you um, after seeing it a few times here? Yeah, man, I have to do, I think, a bigger examination of superhero films just because I have a lot, there's a lot of movies <laughs> to think about in that realm. Um, but, you know, in terms of Batman, for sure, this is, this is, as of right now, it's still my second favorite Batman movie. The Dark Knight still has a hold on me. It's very fresh and early. That could change at any time as this comes out on 4K and I continue to watch it. And The Dark Knight, continue, I, I continue to watch. But something that's been dear to me for so long, I just can't kick it out so early. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I just can't say, man, the Batman is better. Uh, but I think they do serve different purposes. And I think they both can be great, which is what I think it is right now. I think they're both really very, very well done. So right now, it sits in my number two spot in, in terms of at least my favorite Batman film um, as Dark Knight being number one. And, you know, in terms of DC as a whole, shoot, Dark Knight was already number one. So this actually still might be num- kinda, my number two. It's kind of the same conversation. Yeah, it's the yeah. same conversation uh, for the most part. Um, so, yeah, that's just where it stands right now. I think they're eerily close at some point, in, in my mind even, I'd even argue they're tied because they both do things that are great that they didn't have before. The Dark Knight broke barriers for a reason because it's something new it was doing that it didn't do before. And I think this movie is doing that exact same thing at a different time. So right now in my mind, they are closer to tie, but because, again, The Dark Knight have ser- has served me as a person for so long and I've grabbed onto it, latched onto it for so long as one of my favorite movies, it just gets a that slight nudge to the number one spot over this but i think over time this who knows you know my mind could be changed but um that's kind of how i feel right now man what about yourself i think that's very well said coming into this movie i didn't need it to be better than the dark knight i didn't expect it to be better than the dark knight i didn't Mm. need it to be better than any batman film for that matter but i wanted it to be good and i wanted it to live up to the expectations that i had placed on it with that being said I think that this movie does a lot of things more successfully than The Dark Knight. I'm Mm going to go ahead and say it. There are things in this movie that are better than The Dark Knight. 
First and foremost, cinematography. I think it looks better than The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is an incredibly beautiful film, but if I got to put the two together, I think it looks better than the Dark, the Dark Knight. This version of Gotham, I think it's better. The actual portrayal of Batman as a character, I think that the Batman does mm-hmm. that more successfully than The Dark Knight. The introduction of the character into the into the movie in and of itself and into the narrative, I think mm-hmm. that that worked out better. Hell, the plot, the plot, like just looking at it on its surface <laughs> i think the plot in the batman is better i'm not here to tear down the dark knight at all i'm not one of those people that all of a sudden retroactively we're just going to look back on something mm-hmm. that we used to praise and say like oh it's shit now it's not as great as it used to be i'm not that the dark mm-hmm. knight is literally one of my favorite movies ever again go listen to the best of batman we wax rhapsodic <laughs> about it but nobody's gonna sit here and tell me that that whole subplot with Lao in Hong Kong is interesting. Nobody's going to tell me that oh, Bruce yeah. going to capture Lao from Hong Kong is great shit. Mm-hmm. It's not. And it took 25 <laughs> minutes of the movie. Nobody's going to sit here and tell me that the boat scene at the end of that movie isn't contrived because it is. It's mm-hmm. very contrived. There are things that don't work in the Dark Knight as great as they probably should have. It's not perfect, but it's still a tremendous movie. It's still mm-hmm. a classic. We still love it. Absolutely. It's the same thing here. There's some things that don't all the way work well in the Batman that Mm -hmm. could have probably been executed better. But with all of that said, man, it is still currently number two for me. Mm -hmm. That might change tomorrow. That might change on my fourth viewing. I don't know. (laughs) Right. But I'm just going to say that in terms of the character in and of itself and what I want out of a Batman movie, this works better for me on a lot of levels. Mm -hmm. And, I don't think it'll ever resonate as much as The Dark Knight did because that that movie does have such a hold on the culture. Yeah. And it did influence so many things. It started trends, right? Mm -hmm. And this very well may do that. Time will tell. We don't know that information just as of now. So it'll still be number two just for the sake of history at this point in time because we haven't seen history play out. Like if if I could fast forward 10 years and see the impact that the Batman had on the industry Mm -hmm. and be able to give a more you know, informed answer, I'd, right. I'd probably confidently, confidently say like, oh yeah, I think it's the best. Um, but, you know, obviously not there yet. Of course, the Heath Ledger of it all is still a thing. I mean, mm-hmm. still probably the single greatest performance in any superhero movie we've ever seen. That's that's a hard thing to supersede. I, I, it'll it'll probably never be surpassed. It'll I don't yeah. I don't know how, you mm-hmm. know. Um, everybody's living in the shadow. But man, the Batman is just so wildly different, you know, than anything we've ever it gotten. Is. And so um, it, it deserves to be in its own lane with that, with that respect. So uh, with that being said, man, before we close out here officially, any final thoughts, anything you didn't get a chance to say, any last official words on the Batman before we end today's podcast? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure I have too much more to say, man. Um, I'm just very hopeful for the future. I love that this movie has done so much groundwork in its first film. In a lot of ways, it has taken each of each movie from the Nolan trilogy and addressed them as something that has been done. And it kind of does it in small ways. And it's like, okay, now we're moving on. I love that about it. Um, and, you know, I, 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 now there's nothing but possibility out there. And I love that for Matt Reeves and his team and the, the creative direction. I can't wait to see what villain he comes up with. I can't wait to see how Batman grows the next iteration of, of, of these films. Um, I can't wait to see it all, man. But again, I'm just happy to be here. It's a good time to be a nerd. I'm I, me, I'm, I'm including this in a trifecta 
of No Way Home, Dune, and the Batman. This has been an amazing time, man. I've seen them all multiple times <laughs> at this point, and uh, man, it's just easy to be happy because those are three really big properties that you have to touch um, that have all been very successful here recently. So um, shout out to Matt Reeves, shout out to, to to all the actors, Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, and everybody involved, Greg Frazier. I mean, every, literally everybody, man. Um, and I, I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, my eulogy on the Batman before we put this to rest. I, again, am ast- astounded that this movie exists. It's an incredible achievement. It's one of the best comic book movies we've gotten in the past decade, mm-hmm. for sure. And we've gotten a lot. We've gotten a lot of superhero movies in the movies. past decade. It's been an explosion, of course. I think that this stands head and shoulders above a lot of them. It's already in my top ten of the past decade. As you said, I also have to look at it in a bigger, larger context with mm-hmm. all the superhero films and take some time with that. But I know confidently how I feel on that regard. Sometimes sometimes you just know. And mm-hmm. after that first viewing, after we went to go see it Thursday night, man, I just walked out and I just knew. I'm just like, this is this is it. This mm-hmm. is something different. This is We've never seen anything like this before, especially from a Batman film. It does so many things right, so many things that I love. Again, the cinematography is just Ooh. wonderful. Chef's kiss. And needs to be recognized you know whether it's the colors or the use of the the soft focus that they use or the rain that was implemented mm-hmm. all throughout the city all of that stuff to the sound design which you have to experience this in the in the you know the most premier format that you can if you can do dolby or imax like please please afford and reward yourself that opportunity because that's what a movie theater is for you just literally cannot recreate this experience at home i guarantee you you have to go into a a really prime movie theater to get that full experience and to really experience cinema on this type mm-hmm. of grand scale and then we we keep going back to that word but that's all i can think about that's what in, it is thinking about this film and it's certainly not perfect, but it damn near might be the perfect Batman movie, hence our star ratings. You know, at this point, mm-hmm. we've both given it five stars. I don't know if we've ever done that together in terms of like how we've been doing two black nerds over the past two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be a first in that regard, but it, it, it just ticks all the boxes for me. Uh, and I'm just I'm eagerly anticipating the next iterations of what this whole universe will will unfold into the future. We might have to wait like four years for another movie because Matt Reeves takes his time. He takes his he time. He does not rush stuff. So it might be a while before the next movie, but hopefully those shows mm-hmm. come out in the interim and we can get more pieces of this world as we're waiting on the sequel, however long it may take. But I will be waiting, absolutely, and I just can't wait to continue to revisit this film and rewatch it over and over and over for all the reasons that we said. You probably listened to this and said, like, damn, they didn't really say anything negative about it. Well, well, there's there's a reason for that, y'all. Um, It was the same situation for Spider-Man no way home wasn't really anything negative to say Mm -hmm. about that it just when something delivers it delivers and and you can't really deny that it's it's a wonderful time it's a magnificent time to be a fan of this stuff high times for spider-man and batman fans and even even higher times for people of you know fans that are fans of all things you know nerd culture and 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 comic books and superheroes and things of that nature so definitely looking forward to everything that comes out of this batman universe and with that being said ladies and gentlemen that's all we have for the 100th episode of two black nerds thank you as always for tuning in to another episode we are officially down and now we will be back next week of course with a brand new episode of two black nerds we got plenty of stuff to catch up on and talk about including genius the kanye west documentary on netflix we got to recap and talk about that all three parts i know pixar has a new movie coming out this weekend turning red we got to talk about that the boys diabolical just dropped the new anime shorts that just came out on amazon prime there's gonna be a lot to catch up on 
catch up on next week so definitely stay locked and keep it keep in tune with us next week on two black nerds until then we'll see y'all next time yes 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 y'all episode 100 is in the bag it feels so good i want to thank y'all for rocking with us for so long man it's a full circle moment as you notice episode one was joker and episode 100 is the batman it it couldn't get any more perfect than that so you know we had to recognize that um on today with two really good movies to be honest the joker was really good and, and here we are praising the batman as it deserves and with that being said we are audi 5000 this is the year of 22 black nerds go ahead and go check out the nerds of the night collection as well to blacknerds.com and remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy and we out y'all peace when we pull up to the party, need like 35 credentials. Batman, Batman, Batman. Why you look fly in hell? Don't keep the album will sell. But this shit might fly out the show. Batman, Batman, Batman. We need to settle the scores. Jokers, they still wanna war. Hold up, I'm closing the doors. Batman, Batman, Batman. So fly that you mad at yourself. You the one that got the juice. City crying for your help. Batman, Batman, Batman. That was not part of the deal. You was protecting the bank. And then you walked off of the mill.